You're listening to the Plain Label Podcast. I can do this all Hello and welcome back to the Plain Label Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Williams. In this episode, we are discussing the Marvel Disney Plus series, Hawkeye. And joining me for this episode is the Clint Barton to my Kate Bishop, Mr. New Mutant himself, Mr. Alan White. Hello. Trying to get me to spit up all my... <laughs> just trying to get me to <laughs> blow blow my drink all across this... I know, just trying to make a mess of yourself is what I'm, what, is what I'm going for. Before we get into our discussion, we are brought to you by Derek Coward and the fine folks over at the Deliberate Noise Network. Head to DeliberateNoise.com for more current and archived shows from the network. Alan, what is it that you almost spit all over yourself? What are you having to drink? Good old, well, actually a, a Jack, a sour, um, a whiskey sour. Oh, wow. I think yeah. that's I think that's a first for me and you. It could be. I think so. Mm. I've had I've done it before, but I guess I haven't done it with you. Well, I tell you, I cannot do much of the whiskey, and uh, because I turn into a blubbering mess. Oh, really? Uh, yes. About about anything? Oh, like, about yeah, about like any sort of small something. It turns out to be a very dramatic. Uh, it's the greatest or the worst thing ever. Is <laughs> how is how the emotions sort of swing when I drink whiskey. Okay. Uh, and my. Uh, my very, very good friend, Mrs. Rachel Zelag, she is in a similar boat to me to where we've had a, a few different long, long evenings uh, spilling out, <laughs> spilling out the feels after drinking some bourbon and some whiskey. So we stay, so, you know, yeah, we stay far away from that now. I just imagined you and Rachel being like um, Lola and Shoeless Joe Jackson in Damn Yankees oh. singing Two mm-hmm. Lost Souls. In, on the island of life. That sounds right. That we sounds right. We ain't even got a sister or a brother. <laughs> she's much more <laughs> of the singer than I am, though. She'll she's big into the you know you and her would get along. You guys would go and karaoke and everything. Well, I, yeah, well <laughs> <laughs> my karaoke skills are are uh, introversion. That's, that's, that's what my skills are. Well, that's what her and I both like to say. The the fewer people we can be around on a daily basis, the better. <laughs> I so. love the idea of it, but I can never really get into it because <laughs> it's just too much attention on one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I am drinking uh, because this is a film set in the hall or a series set in the holiday season. Uh-huh. Uh, I have and a it, I have a vodka it is water. Alan. It is and it is a, the holiday season, so I have a vodka water. But the water is a, a ginger lime flavor. And it is from uh, from the it's like a an ice, uh, like that's the brand I guess. <laughs> ice is just called ice. Yeah, it's like an ice water, um, but it's like a flavored water, and it's got two little penguins on it, and the penguins have little uh, Santa hats. Does it come in those tall skinny bottles? Yeah. Y- yes. And- all those other, and there's so many other varieties of ice. There are, and I, and if my memory okay. serves, you were telling me about to get a different brand because they are better slash cheaper. That's the cheaper brand. Though. Oh, that is the cheaper brand. Oh, well, my wife did but it right then. When you buy them from a, like a Dwayne Reed or a uh, a Rite Aid, and they're warm, and you bring them home by the six pack, and you put them in the refrigerator, then you you got yourself a deal. Exactly. We 
get ours from the the very near to us Sam's, and it is uh, in like a twenty four pack. Heck yeah! Yeah, but yes, they are warm and tall and thin bottled. Mm-hmm. And that's what uh, so that's what I'm having. So it's basically a uh, it's a Moscow Mule, but it's in a glass, not a cup, not a copper cup. And I don't have a it's ginger flavor, but it's not ginger beer. So it's sort of like I'm faking a, a Moscow Mule. And I also don't have a lime in there, so it's <laughs> it's like in the same flavor profile, but it's not quite the same as a Moscow Mule. But I figured a Moscow Mule would be appropriate for the show, would it not? Duh! Duh! (laughs) Would it not? All right, so that is what we are drinking. The series that we are talking about came out in 2021, and once again, it is Hawkeye. This is the first Christmas we've had together in years. I love you guys. I'm making up for some lost time. Authorities are wondering if the masked vigilante who terrorized the city's underworld is back. The past is caught up with me. Should we be worried? No, no, it's nothing. I'll be home for Christmas. I promise. It's the most wonderful time. When I wore this suit, I made a whole lot of enemies. You're Hawkeye! Who the hell are you? Some people have actually called me the world's greatest archer. Are you one of those people? It's the most wonderful. Hey, babe, I should be back in a day or two. Hang on a second. Things have gotten more complicated. dangerous definitely not this one you don't have to say definitely like that holy sh- there are arrows more dangerous than that one oh, just some christmas and the imdb plot synopsis for this one is from our good pal someone that we don't actually know called johnny the film sentinel 2187 <laughs> oh, which God. i love i love the <laughs> imdb plot synopsis names <laughs> and he says that this show is like this after confronting his past head-on after avengers endgame clint barton will hand down the hawkeye quote baton to kate bishop a newcomer on the new Mm. A newcomer on the superhero scene and right in the center, center spelled the British way, of a conspiracy <laughs> to bring down the Hawkeye, to bring down the Hawkeye once and for all. Operating from the shadows, the two archery masters must uncover who this new nefarious threat is and how they can stop this quote boss from causing a catastrophe for New York. Okay, so that's pretty much what it what it's about. A, a catastrophe for New York. I guess. <laughs> One, two, hand down the hand down the baton. <laughs> well, the like the title of uh, Hawkeye, I guess. Even though, I mean, our final moments are her coming up with new ideas because they don't. She doesn't want to really be called Hawkeye. 
Yeah, but uh, it didn't seem like it didn't seem like Clint was on board with that plan. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> he didn't like Lady Hawk and uh, whatever else she came up with, or even having her as a partner after a while. That's right. Although that's supposed to be the, that's supposed to be the big moment. Spoilers, Alan. That's supposed to be the big moment is episode six, where he <laughs> says that. Yeah, yeah, but we'll get to that. The heartfelt. You can cut that part out, then. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, so we're so this is uh this is one of those series where it's uh going to be spoiler filled because That's how we do. Because and boy, this show sure wanted to keep certain things secrets. Uh, it wanted to be very secretive about villains and uh, uh antagonistic forces and slash um partners kind of toward the end and. Uh, so anyway, so there was there was two main characters that they were trying to hide for most of the most of the show before they finally showed up. So, Hawkeye, I'm going to uh, tell you how what my history is with Hawkeye before we hear yours because I'm shaking things up today, Alan. We're talking on we're talking on a Saturday instead of a Friday, so I'm really I'm shaking things up. It's it. I'm all discombobulated. Um, Hawkeye, I knew from <clears throat> obviously from the Avengers. Uh, but when I when I was introduced to him, he was the second best to Captain America, and he was pissed that Captain America was better <laughs> than him at everything, and so he was uh, loud and obnoxious, and um, him being hard of hearing was a thing that was just part of his character, and then he was mostly in the background until the late '90s with the whole Thunderbolt stuff and. And um, him, you know, being a leader that he's always told Captain America that he could be and all this sort of thing. So that's that's essentially my history with him. I don't have a specific fondness for him uh, in particular. Like, I think he's fine in the comics, um, but I, he's sort of been a character that's always been around for me in, in, the, in the comic version. Mm. How about you? Um, Avengers, yes. Mm-hmm. And because... Avengers through the George Perez era, mm-hmm. which means that it was the colorful Avengers, and he was the purple one right. <laughs> right. to fill out the rainbow. And that, <laughs> that's why I appreciated him very much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had the purple and blue, and then Vision had the green and the yellow and the red, and Scarlet was the red, and Tiger was the orange, Captain America red, white, and blue. But that's all I needed. <laughs> But then I, it, it was just, and I don't, I, I, now I'm forgetting my own timeline, personally. But when I saw this and when I read back issues of Avengers, I, I don't know which, which it was. I'm going to say, I don't know. But when I did that, then I started to dive deeper into who Hawkeye was because of what I knew already to find out when he joined the Avengers, how long was his history and found out that he he did so much title hopping mm. that he he's a ubiquitous character in in Marvel comics in the print comics so it was only natural that he would show up in the MCU in any regard and the way he showed up that first time you know they they just called him by his name and he had a bow and arrow and they, that's all they gave us and so it was left up to us, the audience, to say, that is freaking Hawkeye, people. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's Hawkeye. That's Hawkeye. And we didn't get much more of that. But he he was madly in love with Natasha, 
had a had a um lover's triangle with him, Natasha, and Daredevil. Mm. He he quit the Avengers and joined the Defenders, kind of, but he didn't really. He, I guess he was like a co-star in the in the Defenders. Went back forth Avengers, Defenders, Avengers, Defenders during Swordsman's um, kind of ascension and declension mm. with Mantis, and I I I was putting all that together as I was watching. Or after I watched, see, again, my timeline is all mixed up in my head. But those elements in that story, in those stories, made so much more sense to me for why they chose the characters that they chose to put in this miniseries. Mm. So what did you, uh, so you watched this as it came out? Was this something that you were, like, were you glued to it the way that you were? with previous episodes or were you or a series or was it something that you like, did you watch it the day that it came out on all these? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I was glued to it. Okay. I was glued to it. And, um, I remember, um, tweeting screenshots when, when it was coming out, not in a spoiler way because I don't do that. <laughs> But I remember one detail that I had to screenshot was um, the exterior shots of an apartment building that had outdoor seating in the street mm. across from the apartment building or like sideways to the apartment building. And that was an indication to me that the MCU had a COVID lockdown because there's no there was no such thing as outdoor seating in the in the in the street taking away parking in a kind of ramshackle looking um, wooden facade that wasn't that didn't exist before the before lockdown before um, quarantine hmm. look at those uh, New York City details right there and I have a I have plenty more for you too as oh, we good. Go. oh good 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 so this is a show that when it first came out um, I had not read the Matt Fraction David Aja series. I knew who Kate Bishop was because of our previous discussion with uh, about um, Captain America or Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, mm -hmm. So I had, I had read Young Avengers, so I knew who Kate was. And I knew that uh, Haley Steinfeld was cast as her. And I knew that that uh, was supposedly going to be a good fit. And so I knew Haley Steinfeld from True Grit. Uh, so way back in the day when she was just a little kid. <gasps> Shut the front door. Yeah, that is... I didn't I, I didn't twig that. I didn't realize that was her. Yeah, well, nominated for one Oscar when she was just a kid. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, because you think about it now and you're like, oh, yeah, I can see like... Uh, I can see it when you when you think about how she is in this show, mm. um, because she just so, sort of has like this. Uh, at least in that show, she has this sort of like precocious, authoritative, even though she's not old enough to really back up her words. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's how I always think of her as she's she's like the type of actor who um, doesn't like in this show. She's beat up a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. and she's not afraid in a lot of her roles to not look her 
best. Mm-hmm. Um, she mm-hmm. saves that for her music career, it seems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but when she's, when she's acting, like she's in things like the 2016 film, The Edge of 17, where she is really, really cringe comedy, uh, high school kind of like not put together young woman kind yeah, of stuff. You did a show with that, right? Yes. You, you did. I remember that. And that's a really, that and that's a really good, um, really good movie, but it is, quite hard to watch it's one of those to where mm-hmm. we want we want the the 14 year old to watch it but we're like yeah i don't want to watch that with you because it's a <laughs> lot of sexual references that i don't think i'm ready to, yes. to be in the presence of you when when this comes on the screen <laughs> yes has she seen it no Six. she hasn't seen it yet <laughs> it's that and, and uh book smart is very similar to where i'm like ooh, this is really funny i don't want to watch this with you <laughs> because it's going to be uncomfortable <laughs> Playing certain scenes. <laughs> this uh, is something that you're supposed to watch with your with your girlfriend yeah, with your as friend. you're learning stuff. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You don't want to sit here with mom and dad and watch it. Yeah. Well, maybe mom. Let us sit with yeah, mom. Yeah, with mom. Sure. That might like, be appropriate. That's right. And my wife would definitely be up for that. So, uh, so yeah. So Haley Steinfeld, known her for a long time, really liked her in um, Bumblebee, the one of the few Transformers uh, movies that I liked a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the spinoff of that in in 2018. And um, we've seen her in the Apple TV show Dickinson, where she plays Emily Dickinson. Um, and she just kind of has like a persona where she's very smart all the time and very sort of, uh, but also sort of awkward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. a, a, the thing that she does a lot in here. And what I what I really appreciated about it before I tell you about our viewing habits was that she has a different sense of humor than the other Avengers. And this mm-hmm. is a thing that really, really bugs me in that uh, I've said before, like Thor sounds the same as Iron Man and they all have the mm-hmm. same sort of quips. Mm-hmm. And then they bring in Chris Pratt and he has the same sort of sense of humor, right? For the guardian stuff. Mm-hmm. And here Kate Bishop as played by Haley Steinfeld, she has a different sense of humor. Like she's a little more awkward and can kind of be self-deprecating and, and can sort of, be a little bit more ironic, but in a different way than the dudes are being ironic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I liked that a lot. When we first started watching this, my wife and I came off of um, we came off of Loki and started watching this. And we watched one and was like, okay. Uh, we watched the second one, and then we just kind of didn't really talk about it, but just sort of stopped watching it. Ugh. <laughs> How? The UG heard around the world right there. Um, How? How did you stop? And, How? And so then, oh no, we saw the first three because we did see Echoes. We did see the uh, Maya story. Okay. Um, and so coming back around to it, that as you may have guessed, the first time I, I didn't love it. I didn't dislike it, but I didn't love it. It was and meh. Then, and then it was watched, all meh to you. Yeah, it was all kind of like, well, I, I don't know. And it was also around the time where uh, Eternals had come out and, and a little peek behind the window. Uh, Alan and I's first recordings on Phase 4 were nearly a year ago, Alan, if you can believe this. Uh, because, boy, Eternals really took it out of me. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I didn't enjoy that a lot, very much. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I don't know, man. If they're going to all be like this, like I, don't, I hope that they're better than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so watching it this time around... The, the first two episodes I remembered really well. And man, I thought that they were a lot of fun. 
See, and I was really sort of happy with pieces of them. Now, what mm. I will say is, this is also the most frustrating of all of the series for me. Oh, I gotta hear more. Because I think that there are moments that are really, really good, and then there are moments where I'm like, "What the fuck is this? Like, what are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> and so, so pieces of it, I don't, I don't understand at all. Um, okay. But let's go ahead and dig into it then. Episode one is called "Never Meet Your Heroes." This is obviously the the one that I have the most notes for because it's doing the most groundwork. It's setting up the world. It's setting up who Kate Bishop is. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the idea that she's not a superhero, and she says this in a quote later. She's not a superhero. She's just good as fuck is what I wrote down. Like <laughs> She's just really skilled at something. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that is great. And that does become a line that she says as to why she looks up to, to Clint later on in the show. Um, I put... That I liked it, but I put, oh boy, this opening is some family channel shit. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's when we get introduced to Vera Farmiga as the mother mm-hmm. and she shows up and I'm like, whoa, I remember thinking like, what the hell is she doing in here? Like, exactly. Like this yep. is a, uh, this is a movie actor. And my kid was like, oh, it's the girl from the conjuring <laughs> because that's. How old my kid is. <laughs> she's was, like, she a, was she a girl in the conjuring? No, no, she's the mother. Yeah. Okay. But she calls everyone a girl. Oh, she's right like, on. oh, it's the girl from it's the girl from the conjuring. And I'm like, yep. And she's like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> and then she kind of checked out. She was she wasn't uh she wasn't super into this one. Um but I thought that, that was just it was the Eleanor and young Kate and was very saccharine and it was just very sort of it was it was like positioning the show for a younger demographic, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is what we're this is what we're doing. We're we're gonna just kind of we're gonna talk about some feelings, but we're just gonna kind of brush by them. We're not really gonna like dig into them. And uh, did you feel that way throughout the whole sequence with young Kate? I felt that way throughout the whole series. Oh, um, in that I thought that they. They bring up a lot of ideas about feelings, but I never felt anything for anybody. What? Yeah. Oh, Eric. I know. I know. I'm surprised that you didn't get turned off by the feelings that they were showing in this thing. Uh, well, I was kind of like, well, we'll talk about it. Um, so later. I put, I have four things in a row that I put love. Mm-hmm. So I loved the background Avengers fight. Um, because I like the idea of so sort of like the old uh, the book um, damage control, like that oh, yes. that kind of stuff. Like I like the idea of we're following someone and the main action is happening behind them. You know what else? It has that sensitivity. Hmm. Sen- sensibility is the as the Marvels um, series, the original one by Kurt Busiek and Alex oh, Ross. Right, right, right. Oh, speaking of Alex Ross, I got a uh, Alex Ross Captain America puzzle. Uh, for for um for an early Christmas deal that I'm gonna be. You guys are having Christmas already. Well, I mean, I just I sort of like know that I have it. Boom. Yeah, you know, you you put on your Amazon wish list, you put certain things on there, and then you click on them, and mm-hmm. Amazon says, "Are you sure you want to click on this? Someone might have bought it for you." Oh, <laughs> like you, thank you, Amazon. Son, like you, sons of bitches. Yeah, but does it do that with everything that you? Have it doesn't. On- it only does that for things that someone's bought it for you. I know because it's like because I was trying to I was like making sure that that was the one that I wanted or whatever 
Mm-hmm. I was like going through my list and I clicked on and I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm getting this. <laughs> but anyway, it's okay. uh, but it, it was a thing that I thought you in particular would be outraged by because it's uh, so it's it's Alex Ross and his most Alex Ross. Nice. Um, it's got Captain America being very, uh, you know, USA sort of on the front. Square jaw. Yes. And it's got a little Steve Rogers there at the bottom of the of the image. But it's got Bucky and all of the World War II guys. And then on the other side, it's got some Avengers stuff. But there is not a Sam Wilson to be found. <laughs> and I'm like, what in the hell? Like, where's Falcon at? <laughs> so I thought that that was kind of dumb. So anyway, I wonder, so I love I that. He, what, his, what his confidence level is about making Sam. Mm. Oh, yeah, I don't know. That's, uh, a cheesy, that's a cheesy outfit he used to have. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I do love the background Avengers stuff. I love the character motivation for Kate in that mm-hmm. she's inspired by this guy with, uh, you know, a stick and a string is what she says later, right? And how cool was it to watch him do what he did in the movie from afar? Yes. I liked that a lot, too. Yeah. Uh, I liked that we got... The uh, I liked how we introduced our uh, the audience to adult Kate uh, with her and the bell and the sense of humor and her friends and it just being kind of like, yeah, she's at the school, but she doesn't really give a shit about that. It's more of like she's adrenaline chasing almost to where mm-hmm. she's just mischievous. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, OK, I liked that a lot. Um, did you did you notice that the tower was called Stain Tower? No, I don't. I guess I don't, I don't. Remind me what that means. Obadiah Stane oh, was the oh, okay. was the villain of Iron Man two, I think. Iron Man, because it was yeah. the the dude. It was uh, Jeff Bridges. Oh, the very first one. Yeah, because he was the yeah. Iron Monger, wasn't he? Okay, 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 got it. Because two was when they brought in Mickey Rourke and he had his the whiplash oh, stuff. Oh, that's right. Correct. Yeah, look at me, look at me knowing stuff. Um, right. The next thing that I wrote that I loved was the original introduction to Rogers the Musical. Oh my god. That was so cringy for me. <laughs> I could not I couldn't watch it. Even on my on my re rewatch I could I had to fast forward through it. It You didn't, wait a minute. So you didn't watch the whole thing at the end of six? Absolutely not. Alan <laughs> Boo <laughs> I can't watch that. It's so horrible. I could do this all day. Oh come but- on. And it's not just I could do this all day, but it's I could do this all. Screech! Love, sustain, no! And you didn't like uh, like the Hulk smash where he's getting ready to throw the boulder? and so it, uh, It's cute, and I like the idea of it, but the execution was so above cheesy. Oh, yeah. Absolutely it was. And I know it was made to do that. I know it was a purposefully, audience, look, we're having fun now. We are playing with this. We are, and I just, it just, uh, I can't even describe it. Just <laughs> so it's, it's that part. I think what's so important about that, though, is I like that it is really over the top and kind of grating because mm-hmm. it makes even more sense why Clint would have the hearing aid out. Yes. Right? Like, yes. it's not something to where he's, he's sitting there and enjoying it. He's like, oh, this is, this is bad. Right. This and is then rough. so... What I did get from that is Clint's not only discomfort at watching that lampooned of his of his actual life, but how poignant it was for him to see that Natasha actress mm. 
And and the fact that they were making this thing such a big show when the reality is he lost he lost his friend, man. Mm-hmm. And so the whole audience and all these actors and they're making all this celebration and making it seem so splashy and cute and whatever and bombastic. But the, the gravity is this shit is dangerous and you lose people and it's not all fun and games and high notes. So you so you felt that in that moment? I think I did. Yeah, mm. I think I think it was like you guys are really kind of skewing the the reality of being an Avenger. Okay, so th- see, this is where this is one of the first places where I like the idea of what they were doing, but I wished, like, I think that this, and I don't know if maybe the source material is like this also because Matt Fraction's a, a writer that I can never really kind of sink myself into because it's always so precious and so sort of like look at these references we're making and look how cute i am um <laughs> it's just like very self-conscious is the way that i i feel it i feel when i'm reading stuff from him but this is um this is the sort of thing to where like this could be and and i think that part of my problem is that it's jeremy renner because i've seen him in the hurt locker I've seen him in movies where he's supposed to have PTSD from a tragic event. Mm. And I've seen that the sort of depths that he can go to. And here it just is like, like brushing by the idea of it being hard for him. Mm. And so is that the frustration that you were describing earlier? Yeah, sort of like, I feel like if they really wanted to swing for how traumatized he was, they could have done little like ragged cuts of her falling earlier. Uh, earlier than they, they did yeah because they show it the one time mm. but they could have you know they could have really pushed that harder mm. and showing this the struggle that uh that he's going through because i felt like he was he was kind of all over the place for me in this and not the performance because i thought he did fine but it's like he is trying to play the supportive father and i thought that this was going to be a lot more about him as a dad than it mm. ended up being uh, because with the whole, you know, almost a year gap between when I first started watching it and when I finished it, we watched those first few episodes and it's pretty his kids forward. Mm. And then you watch the rest and you're like, oh, yeah, no, they just fucked off to the house and they're just kind of hanging out with uh, Linda Cardinelli. <laughs> and they're just like, you know, they're just at home and they don't really have like a lot to do with the rest of the movie or the rest right. of the series. The series. But what you don't want is danger uh, the kids getting in danger all the time and his primary motivation is trying to save them throughout the whole series Mm -hmm. i like the idea that they got sent away to safety soon Mm. yeah that makes sense i do it does make sense i put that i was okay with the family barton stuff i like that the that the son is uh the is the son is deaf i plural question mark or he just knows asl yeah he knows asl because his his dad needs some ASL. Okay. But his the boy doesn't act that, like his voice. Right, right, right. Still regular voice, and he was able to talk to everybody else. Okay. Without using it. Because that's why I was like, okay, so he, but he's the only one who's wanting to learn that with his dad. Yeah. See, now that's the stuff that kept the emotion going for me mm. um, to show how important Clint's relationship with his children was. Mm-hmm. First. Except for the oldest boy, the oldest boy evidently was the foil of the family. Like they didn't, they, <laughs> they just made they just made him the one that you're gonna think is dumb. 
<laughs> he, yeah, he's the he's the jock of the group. <laughs> like he's the <laughs> athlete, right? Yeah, he probably <laughs> he probably idolizes Captain America. Mm, there you, you go. Know, yeah, not not his dad, <laughs> but the little boy learns sign language for his father. That he knows his father has a hearing loss, and the daughter is like, "I'm I'm mini mom here. I'm going to take care of this family. Right. I'm going to make sure that you're okay." And I loved that. One and two, I thought that the actress was related somehow to to Clint Bar to uh, Jeremy Renner because their faces they kind of had the same kind of lower mouth, lower face. Oh yeah, jaw uh, thing going on. Yeah, so that's uh, that's Ava Russo, I believe, is the actor, um, and she does have like a, a sort of deal where she kind of talks out of the side of her mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and my uh, brother-in-law does that, and it was the thing where he. Uh, around the holiday season, my mother-in-law brought it up to her son, and he was like, not real thrilled <laughs> that, that she brought it up. <laughs> but anyway, but she sort of does talk out of the side of her mouth, which is like, she's very distinctive. You know, yeah. she doesn't seem just like a regular, um, like quote unquote model type woman that they would cast or whatever. Like she just seems yeah. like a normal kid. Yeah. And so then Jer- Jeremy Renner doesn't strike me as a as a as a um, a playboy a playgirl centerfold either. He's yeah. he's kind of a a hard bitten, grizzly looking kind of dude. Yeah, he looks like he's been around the block as we were teasing before we were recording, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but he has got a little thing going on with the side of his mouth too, a little yeah weirdness with the just not standard model type jawline and mouthing going on right and i so i i had mentioned uh the hurt locker earlier but the other thing that i that i um know him from or always think of him from is the town the the ben affleck movie to where he plays what i wish they would have done more of uh clint barton's persona to where he's this kind of like never good enough character and this is like a trope that i love is the character that's never uh able to live up to someone else and and so he's sort of like this foul-mouthed, like, little jerk of a character, uh, which I was like, man, that would have been great if he was that once Captain America showed up, you know, to where he had this edge of, he's not so fucking good kind of a thing, right? <laughs> you wanted him to be more like he was at the time that you were reading him. Right, Captain. yeah, because that's what I think of Hawkeye. I think of him as being kind of a jerk. Yeah, uh, but I, I think that also made him unpopular, after a while, even though they trotted him in so many different stories. Yeah. Yeah. Until Matt Fraction's whole series with him in 2000 and what, like seven or eight or something. Mm-hmm. That's when Hawkeye hit the hit the general um, radar of fans is when Fraction did his thing. But otherwise, he was just this D-lister yeah. who fell way to the background even though he had so much to do in the early avengers and then even when they tried giving him the book of thunderbolts and they have that big reveal and we'll see what the the mcu version of thunderbolts is Mm -hmm. uh, when that comes out but uh i mean i that would be really difficult to pull off again uh calling a a mcu (laughs) movie thunderbolts so i don't know but we'll see uh but anyway the next it's not thing, a series. We don't know if it's, is this going to be a movie for sure or a series. Oh, I thought it was a movie. Is that right? I don't know. Oh, I think it's a. Mo- I think it was a movie that was announced. You know how I do. I'm yeah, not that's looking true. For, it's I'm just not looking for the news. That's right. It's just like tell me when I need to line up, 
exactly. here's your money, Marvel, and let me get my stuff that yep. I read for for several years. Um, the next thing that I wrote was these early Kate scenes with Jack are not good. Um, I don't know what Tony Dalton is doing in this, mo- in this show. Like, I get that he's the swordsman and all this sort of stuff. But I don't know what he's doing as a performance in this. Because he's supposed to be, like, charming Eleanor and, like, being this kind of, like, you don't know if he's good or bad. But I was just mm-hmm. like, what show is this guy in? Like, this guy is not in the same show as the rest of these people. Like, it just didn't feel like he was... Um, it seemed like his direction was just be as broad as possible and just be as, like dopey sort of family um like the worst sort of family child actor sort of stuff that you could ever see like on a hallmark or like on a uh, family channel sort of thing is what i got from him and i don't know tony dalton from from anybody same i never i haven't seen him in anything before but i i have to you know i'm going to admit this and i will be embarrassed by admitting this but i'm still going to admit it anyway it took me, I think, possibly after I saw the whole series, if not until the fifth episode in real time, to realize <laughs> that he was the swordsman mm. from comics. <laughs> and I don't know why, because in the rewatching this, when as soon as the character enters the scene, Kate calls him Jock, even Mm. though his name is Jack. Mm. And at the time, I didn't realize that she was saying Jack or Jock. I just figured that's how Haley Stanfield does the part. Because (laughs) a lot of the dialogue in in this whole series, I had to do with um, subtitles and captions. Oh, yes, because she is very much a mumbler. Mumbles, and and so is Clint. Yes. And, and And they... really rapid fire their lines real fast. So I'm not catching all the words and I have to put the, the, and plus there's been a whole article. There's been a series of articles about how the sound quality lately in uh, movies and television shows have been kind of wonky Mm -hmm. because they're being produced for certain standards that don't fit all devices and all um, systems. And so you can lose a lot. You could lose a lot. Yeah, you're you're getting the surround sound, but you're losing the dialogue. <laughs> it's yeah. Essentially, the way that it's being cranked out. Right, right. So, so that. So I knew she. I knew this character's name was was Jack, and I knew she said Jack. But now listening, she pronounced it like Jock, and I'm wondering if they didn't do that on purpose because the the swordsman's actual name is Jock. Mm. So it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't even the first fencing moment where I figured it, but it was when he he became a, a better version of himself in like I think five, mm-hmm. um, and starts and starts fighting people off with the sword, and she like comments that oh he's got a sword now or whatever, mm-hmm. and I was like oh wait a guy that's sort of bad and sort of good, and he's got a sword, mm-hmm. uh, and then I'm like. That's the swordsman question mark was one of the questions or was one mm-hmm. of the notes that I took later and then it turned out to be them. But it was kind of interesting that that was that was just th- sort of thrown in there and and it there wasn't like a ton done with it. Well, the first thing that it, not only did they have that name, but the mustache. Yeah, the mustache. Yeah, the mustache. And then his in this first episode, his preoccupation with the sword. Yeah. 
yep. wanting to get that sword. He was he was going to bid up upwards to a half a million dollars to get this sword, but he got he got bought out by his uncle. So why did he care so much about that sword? What about that pointy little mustache of his? And yeah, I think his the meaning of him was to be that kind of like a callback. Maybe the tone of him was the doofy one, a goofy guy, but earnest, but to deflect, mm. to to be a red herring in yeah. the entire series. And for that, he had to he had to be kind of oblivious. Right. He oh, had sure. To, he, he couldn't have a clue that his, you know, you know we're going to we're going to spoil it. <laughs> That's right. We're going to spoil it, but uh, let me stop it there. He had to he had to purposefully act as though he was a man who had no clue mm-hmm. and just earnestly wanted to fit into this family and was clumsy about it. That's right. And he's calling so, her Katie and he's yeah. he's just sort of like not as smooth as he could be. Right. <laughs> yeah. In fact, there were two scenes where they spoke about Kate as though she wasn't in the room. Mm. Did, mm-hmm. Do you remember those those two scenes? I one remember. Was the, one was in the office where she had just caught up with, or she'd just come away from her first adventure and was getting the, read the riot act, riot act. And Jack was there and, and her mother's dressing her down. And then her and Jack talk about what to do with a child or he's learning how to be um, a stepfather. But they're, they're, they call her – they're like, well, she does this, and mm. she's, she's trying to do that. And there would be great reason why she's having this kind of resentment. And she's sitting right there. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting her any minute to say, I'm right here, and she doesn't. And the second time, the camera was zooming in on her after, I guess, her, her, her second big foray into adventure. And she's back at home with her mom, and her mom's dressing her down again. But she's – on the couch and the camera's on her face and they're talking about her and they're saying she's this and she's that. And then the camera pans back and you see they're right there in the same room. Mm-hmm. And, and the way I thought it was like she was in one room and she could overhear them until I find out they're sitting right there. And, she, and again, she doesn't say I'm right here. Like, why are you talking about me? Like I'm not here. I'm sitting right here. And that didn't happen. So that was more clumsiness on Jack's part. But it also gave me more of an um, more of an insight in the mom. Yeah, into what into what she's really like. Yeah, what, yeah. So but from the but wait from the jump, just like you said, it was the fact that they put Vera in this movie in this show mm-hmm. told me told me right away. Oh, she's not. She they didn't cast her for just being a nagging mom. <laughs> yeah, she's gonna have more to do than just. Be, oh, she's she's gotta have it. Yeah, she's not gonna just be this betrothed to Jack. And have these uh, shady business dealings with the uncle and all that kind of stuff. Like she's going to have more to her character. Um, one of the things that I wrote down here that uh, <laughs> is when the, she go is when uh, Kate goes down to the wine cellar, and I was like, oh Jesus, the wine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's one of the jokes that is it Armand? Isn't that what the uh, yeah. everyone's called? That's what the younger Armand says at one point. That's mm-hmm. when they're joking about the wine, but. And I was like, oh, God, don't break the wine. Because I didn't remember if she had been making a big mess or whatever when she first goes down there and then says uh, either Glenn or Greg or whatever is the 
the person in charge when Gary. she's pretending. Gary, yeah. I knew it was a G. Uh, yeah. which is talking about whoever uh, hired her or what have you. Um, so here's where my first real kind of issue uh, was, though, is I felt like we got the idea that she's really good at fighting because she uh, either karate or kung fu or she's skilled in the martial arts. All of the martial arts. <laughs> and then And then she's also very, very accomplished when it comes to archery. So I got – that was all fine, and I thought that that did – as good of a job as you can do with setting up that she's able to handle herself, right? Mm-hmm. So when we get the actual fight and the tracksuit mafia comes in and we get the fight, I freaking hated the sound effects and the music of this. Mm. So what really, really bugged me was I wrote down here, I go, the fighting style is like Jackie Chan meets Home Alone. <laughs> okay. Because it was like... You know, kind of goofy, kind of like whimsical. Mm-hmm. People were getting like bashed over the heads with with wine bottles, but you never really got a sense that anyone was like actually hurt in this first episode. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of like uh, it was just sort of like comedy violence is what mm-hmm. it felt like to me. And I was like, oh, I don't like that at all. <laughs> I was like, this does not meet my sensibilities whatsoever mm-hmm. because I'm much more into the clint has this burden i wrote that i was like clint's burden is great like i like the fact that he can't get over the fact that natasha uh allowed herself to die Mm. and he's got this sort of responsibility and now he's got this disability that's sort of been placed upon him Mm. and then she's got all of these like true character things with her uh having to accept this new father being blindsided by her mother and Mm. then the action sequences are just like a, a big goof. And I didn't, I just didn't like the tone of that. And I was like, maybe this is just, maybe it's a Matt Fraction thing, question mark, I wrote down. Um, but it was just like a, oh, this is what it's going to be like. Uh oh, for me, because uh. I don't know that, I, like, I'm just, that was not the sort of thing I was hoping to get. And so that's totally on me. That's not on the show because the show is, you know, it is what it is. But I was hoping for like, yeah, let's really dig into this Clint Barton burden. Let's dig into this disability that he's that he's uh, having to to contend with. And instead, mm. it was sort of more popcorn, younger adult sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, uh oh, uh oh. I think your reading is right, and, and and you were alluding to that from the very beginning yeah. that it was going to be that kind of a tone. And I think, yeah, it kept that tone, and um, I'm all right with that tone. Okay. I'm okay with it not having to be too dire mm-hmm. to, and that might be the whole Marvel cinematic universe situation mm-hmm. because including that tone of humor that you're not liking when it's, <laughs> when it's coming through all the characters. Yeah. Cause I think the folks at Marvel and Disney want to have a big, as, as big of an audience as they can get. So they're, they're giving us some dramatic notes Mm-hmm. They're giving us um, family drama. They're giving us some slapstick. They're giving us some um, PG-13 violence. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm all right with it. And what so I, what, I th- oh, go ahead. Well, what I what I didn't like about the fight was how many times Kate grunted and uffed and oofed. And, <laughs> I mean, she sounded so much like a child. Yeah. In in a big man in a in a grown up's costume. 
that I don't know how the the tracksuit mafia thought they were fighting a man. I have no idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, I did write down at one point, fuck the tracksuit mafia. <laughs> because that's how I, I was like, these are just like the dumbest guys. And I didn't I didn't think any of it was funny when they were trying to be funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the the leads and from episode one to episode six, I thought the leads were good. Mm, okay. uh, and when we get our guest stars, like, I think they were good. It's these supporting players where I'm like, God, I don't I don't know about this. Well, and you're the reason why you don't like them is because they are completely a fraction of invention. Oh, OK. Yeah, that's 100 percent. I mean, I was dogging the tracksuit mafia throughout. So <laughs> without belaboring the point, that was not my favorite thing. <laughs> yeah. Like those even are, like the even like fractions of babies. Yeah, that's just not that's just not uh, my sort of sense of humor, I guess. But uh, I did love the ending of this first episode. Mm. Um, oh, right before that, I put the enthusiasm and personality of HS so Haley Steinfeld is undeniable mm-hmm. because I think she is very magnetic when she's on screen to where either she's being precocious or she's being like a little in over her head or um you know she's able to handle herself physically but not to this extent i just think that the way that she um well i mean as we mentioned with her being an oscar nominated actress like she knows exactly what she's doing in nearly every role and she is very easy to watch because you're like kate bishop is consistent throughout and Mm -hmm. she just sort of nails exactly what she's trying to do um, the ending, though, of what I was going to say was I thought that this was a great comic book cliffhanger at the end with the, uh, you know, she's got the the Ronin suit on and he goes and he gets it from her and he's about ready to punch her. And then he's like, oh, come on. And then you get the <laughs> and you get the, you know, the reveal of someone's face. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know. Now, it, 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 it rang a little false that she could fight off the all the mafia, all the tracksuit mafia. But one Clint Barton could hem her up against a wall. Yep. So yep. that that was a little contrived. It was pretty convenient, and there there's a lot of pretty convenient as we as we progress. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I was I was uh, even though I've been complaining about the series in in bits and pieces here, I thought the first episode was pretty good. I didn't love that sort of Jackie Channess uh, mm. of the fight in the in the wine cellar, but the rest of it I thought was was solid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, well, you know, I, I watched it and I was like, well, maybe I was completely wrong. Like, let me see what the rest of the show has got, uh, has got going for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, episode two is called hide and seek. Um, I love the interaction between the main two. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when we get her, um, her apartment and when it gets set on fire and, and we've got the dog and, and we've mm-hmm. got, uh, all of this kind of stuff. I do like the idea that that Clint keeps calling her a kid, even though she states that she's 22. Yeah, uh, I do like that idea because it seems like in 2021, uh, it's it's. I like that they're a little older. These these would be young Avengers. Mm-hmm. You know, we're getting like a Peter Parker that's not 15. Right. You know, and so I do even, like that. It's like okay, they're a little bit older than what I remembered them growing up. 
but they're going to have to do something about um, Wanda's kids and yeah, yeah, because uh, <laughs> the, their kids. That's exactly what I was thinking when I was watching this. I was like, wait a minute. So she's like almost graduated from college, yet mm-hmm. <laughs> some of the other young Avengers are like ten. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so that'll be interesting. And then when we get, uh, especially when we get um, the younger Lang. Yeah, um, I want to see what she's like in the movie. Yeah. Is she older now? Is she even older, even more older now? Yeah, I know that the actress, and I think she, the actress is around the same age as Haley Steinfeld. Okay. Uh, okay. But we'll see what what uh, what age she's playing, because I think she's a, a pretty slight young lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see. But uh, so I put in here, um, you know, I already said fuck the tracksuit mafia. mafia. <laughs> I put I hate the goddamn music. Um, and I think that... Anything that it's like, maybe it was because it was Christmas. Yep. To where I was like, can you not just take like any moment seriously? <laughs> and, and and we do get some of that when we get Maya's introduction. Yeah. Because we get a fucking killer musical moment with her. Mm. And so I'm like, so that's where some of my frustration comes in. Is it's like it's not like the the filmmakers are just inept. Right. It's like right. they're doing a specific thing that just doesn't resonate with me. Yeah. Uh, so it's just that's the disconnect to where it's not like, oh, no, they're they're doing exactly what they're trying to do. I just don't love it. <laughs> that, that's it. Yeah, that's, that's fair. If you don't mm-hmm. love it, you don't love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did love the branding and Katniss line to where they're yes! like, oh, no, there's a Hawkeye. Uh, that's Katniss Everteen. <laughs> yes, yes, and, and and that's when I started tracking where they were in New York City, because uh, that's that's Times Square for sure. Yes, but the way they were walking, the direction they were walking looked to me like they were walking southward through Times Square. Okay, but then they turned like the next scene because they they kept talking through that scene, and and I made a note about it. They walked through Times Square. I loved it. It was humbling and it was fun. Then they walked from Times Square to East 53rd Street. Okay. <laughs> that sign, I mean, the, the, the street sign is there. It's in the background when they stop and they're outside of, um, I guess it's Bishop Security. When Clint just feels like, okay, so we got through that. This is probably the last time I'm going to see you. All right. Because I'm going home and you're safe or whatever. Go go up there, whatever you're going to do. And behind them is a street sign that says East 53rd, which looked like it was like Park Avenue or something. So 53rd is above 42nd Street mm-hmm. because it goes up as you go north. But they looked like they were walking south. Out of Times Square. So that was a thing. Plus, 53rd Street would have been 10 blocks north of mm-hmm. their where they were mm-hmm. and about five avenues over. So that would have been a walk for about uh, 30 minutes. <laughs> Not if you're an Avenger, Alan. In the cold <laughs> with no hats on. <laughs> Movie magic. <laughs> He's got he's got like a uh, transportation arrow is what it was. <laughs> it's one of the fancy. It's one of the dangerous ones that she uh, labels later. But all, but and given just going back to the first episode, uh, just about um, geography, 
the fight that they had, that the Avengers had with all the Chitauri. Oh, yeah. Was so centered around Grand Central Station, which is at Fort, which is on 42nd Street. And the Avengers Tower itself looked like it was positioned near Grand Central Station, which would have been 45th, maybe. And they placed the scenes in the opening episode of this one at the same place, right? Mm -hmm. At at Grand Central Station, where Haley, oh Haley, where Kate Bishop would have come home from from um, college after getting who knows what happened? Did she get suspended? Did she get? You know, whatever. She got in trouble. Yeah, maybe she was on just Christmas break or something. Because oh, Christmas break. <laughs> it didn't seem like she, I mean, school was not really mentioned again. It, well, it, until he, she got home and, and mom was mad that she was going to have to make up for. Oh, she's going to have to buy him a new one or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So that's. And that was just a couple of blocks away from where Clint and his kids were after they watched that show. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of geographically centering us on the Chitauri attack from the past, the future, and the site of in the present. And I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, it is nice because, you know, you get the coincidence of New York a lot, right? But here, at least they were being consistent with where they were at. Yeah. And that's one of the things where, like, even even me not knowing the geography of where anyone was, it was like, oh, all this looks familiar. Like, it all looks similar. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So that's so that's good. Um, I put again in halfway through the the notes on this episode. I put that Haley Seinfeld is carrying the show, uh, just because I thought that she was so good in in being Kate, uh, just in being this sort of like enthusiastic um, foil to Clint, mm-hmm. because it's kind of like yeah, you know, I've been here, I've I've done all this shit before. This is nothing new, and she's like, this is fucking awesome. Is kind of what her, <laughs> you know, is is what she's just beaming out of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that that was really good. And then we get to the uh, we get to the LARPing stuff. What do you think of the LARPing? Is this a Matt Fraction thing too? Not that I can recall. Okay. No. What do you think of this bit of business with these folks? <laughs> so at the very first, when I was watching it at first, it was it was cringy uh-huh. to me because I. I see myself. <laughs> Listen, I I don't LARP, okay? I uh-huh. don't LARP. And it's not something that I would prefer to do, but I play D&D Beach, and I'm, I love it. I love it. I could play it for seven hours on a weekend and then seven hours the next day. So I, I, I roll up my character... I assume an identity in a fantasy setting. I do magic. I fight with swords. Like, I'm in. And I have no problem with that. And I've been doing it since 13, 13 or 14 years old. I love D&D. So what they do is another form of the same kind of fantasy role playing, only they get out there and they whack each other with foam um, swords and things and they have rules and stuff. So even though they're whole aesthetic to me was cringy mm-hmm. i had to admit to my own self <laughs> they, they, they're my people they are my people I, I see myself in them so i put the larp stuff is a lot of fun i again put but f this music <laughs> um and i think that what i liked about it was the little asides like you know him having to give 
a phone number or an uh, an email or whatever it was when he was not wanting to even check in. Right. And then wanting to make sure that he returns because they will charge him for the for the outfit, for the costume. Mm-hmm. You know, those little bits I thought were funny. I thought that, mm-hmm. that was a lot of fun. I liked the idea of um the the character that's the firefighter that is wearing the Ronin outfit that wants to have a duel. I mm-hmm. thought that that was a lot of fun. Um, I just thought that it just didn't. I just would love to hear an interview with the people that did the sound uh, oh. because I just did not get it. And it was a thing that just kept grating on me to where it was like, I liked that they kind of went serious, but it was, I just wish that it wasn't so freaking Christmassy. <laughs> it's basically my frustration. But here's here's what I think you're forgetting is that it has been <clears throat> since you've given some behind the scenes of what we you and I are doing right now. It has been a year since it aired on Disney. Mm-hmm. So it was meant to be a holiday series. Right. That's true. That's true. I I just would have loved this to be a drama. <laughs> It's like I wanted Stephen Knight, who did the first season of Daredevil, to do oh. Hawkeye, <laughs> and and we'll get into more of that later. But um, I just thought that there was such rich ground here for Clint's story mm-hmm. that it just kind of got. It was like a um, oh, it was sort of like it, instead of it being a Avengers book, it was sort of like a, a book for kids that was starring starring Hawkeye or something. You know not I mean? completely like a, like kids, a kid's though. Well, not completely for kids because they're and that's sort of again my like look you were close you were doing it just <laughs> go all the way with this stuff you know that was sort of like my frustration. Um, have, have you ever uh, are you an HBO guy, Alan? I have I have HBO, uh, but I I don't watch as much of it that I should for okay. the money I'm paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So one of the shows that if you haven't seen that you should watch is the show Barry. And what Barry uh, is, is it stars Bill Hader, mm-hmm. and he is a former military person, and he comes over and he plays a hitman. Mm. And he is a hitman who kind of takes a liking to a young lady, and he follows her because that's what hitmen do. And he ends up at her improv uh, performance. And he ends up there, and then he has there like a person short, and he has to take part in the scene. Mm-hmm. And so it like unlocks this theater side of him and this like idea that he could be someone else. And that's the main story. And on the subplot is all of the people that are sort of like wanting Barry to be this murderer. And mm-hmm. they are played by uh, some foreign um, Eastern European folks. And they are very comedic and very over the top. And they're sort of like what the tracksuit mafia wishes it was because (laughs) that is very funny. And that is really well done. And every time I see those guys, it just reminds me, I put that Barry does this so much better with the villains. Oh, okay. And so it's like the time I'd watched it before I hadn't seen Barry yet. So I didn't have that reference. But then I've seen all of Barry since mm. and watching it this this time around, I was like, oh, man, it's this. But it's like half as good as what this other show does. 
Hmm. Uh, so that was a, another one of my frustrations. But let me ask you this. When the tracksuit mafia would go, bro, bro, mm-hmm. would that, did that annoy you or was that redeemable? You know, I was actually okay with that because uh, I call my, sis- my sister, I call my kiddo bro. Okay. Uh, so I'll say like when I'm coming to pick her up, that's how I'll text her. All right. You know, so that, that, I was okay with that. But that was a major component of Fraction's tracksuit mafia in in um, just the way that they would place the word balloons that would be like just a single word balloon that would say bro in it. And then another one would answer them back with another bro mm. and then another bro. Okay. And it, just those kind of dynamics with the with the word balloons, just using that one um monosyllabic word but to great effect on the on the printed page Mm -hmm. in a comic book medium and so i was wondering was that detracting for you the characterization of these people yeah no i thought that that was that actually worked out of the things they were doing i liked that the most all right so maybe you like fraction more than you yeah maybe maybe i do i'll never admit it (laughs) (laughs) actually it's like i like hearing him I, I like him in interviews more than I like the work that he produces. Like I, I like him. Uh, he does a, a whole bunch of uh, interviews on the King cast where he talks about Stephen King's uh, Dark Tower books. Mm. And listening to him talk about those, it's like, yeah, he's a bright guy, knows what he's talking about. And then I read his work, and I'm like, nope, it just does not work for me. Mm. So, so uh, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe I've got like imposter syndrome to where I'm trying to. Uh, it's like, nope, I don't. He thinks he's so smart. Well, you're not so fucking smart, Matt Fraction. You know, maybe it's one of the, maybe it's one of those sort of things. So anyway, others, um, others, others might might say, "Oh, there's a glint of green in your eye." <laughs> that could be. That could very well be. One of the other things that I I put down here was uh, this is the beat at the end where we get uh, Echo and her introduction mm-hmm. and where we get to see the the musical moment that I liked so much was the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, Oh, okay. I remember this character from, from uh, daredevil. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to, you know, dive into this. And this is where in retrospect, this is where one of my main concerns comes in is mm-hmm. that whose story is this? And why are there so many characters? Uh. Right. Because we'll talk about the, the last episode, but it's like mm-hmm. there's so much happening, it makes me not give a shit about any of it. And you got you had to um, you had to spread out your attention too far and wide, and that that, that diluted your interest. And I think it's it's a tonal thing. Mm. It's a tonal thing. So we'll we'll get to that. So uh, episode three echoes. This is where we get uh, Alaqua Cox as Maya Lopez, mm-hmm. and she is a young lady in 2007 and i put oh my god we're so old (laughs) (laughs) we're like yeah way back you know 2007 yeah Yeah. oh no 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 um this is the first uh little uh jiggle of the young woman's of of younger maya's cheek and i'm like kingpin question mark because this you know this is as far as i had got um where I hadn't seen the rest of the episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I saw episode three twice, and then the rest of them uh, were new to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, liked the, I liked the Echo fight 
the hearing aid stuff, like I think that that is a real fertile ground to explore, you know, Clint losing his hearing, her never having her hearing, mm-hmm. uh, them both being trained, her being, um, she's sort of trained by observation and he's, he's sort of like one of the things I wish they would have been able to go into. And maybe this is what they do in her own show is that she's trained and my impression is that because she has to be trained because of her disabilities mm-hmm. is that's what I feel like her character motivation is mm-hmm. where like, if she's going to survive, she has to be a certain way. And Jeremy Renner is more of a, yeah, I joined uh, the military and here's what they uh, trained me to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's yeah. one of those is like, yeah, I chose to do this. And she's sort of like, I had to do this. And that so I, right. I wish they would have had some sort of a, a dynamic between the two of them of him having to go to her because of the ASL aspect. And I just wish that we would have seen the two of them more. Mm. Yeah, we got that one part where he elects to get captured mm-hmm. and she sees that hearing aid and she thinks you'd do better without it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you're relying on this too much. Right. Yeah. Because there's a there's a there's a deaf culture. And sometimes I've I've kind of read up to find that some folks in deaf culture, they champion deaf culture as itself being integral and um, qualitative so that if you got a hearing aid or if you got a, a cochlear implant, you were kind of betraying deaf culture. Oh, OK. Like yeah. trying to conform to a norm instead of just being who you are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I can see that that line came from that. And, you know, Alakwa Cox is deaf mm-hmm. and was born deaf. Mm-hmm. And she also does have a prosthetic leg. Right, right. So they really just, like, they said, we need to, now, Echo in the comics doesn't have a prosthetic leg, but she is deaf. And they just said, Oh, and uh, is also Native American. Mm-hmm. So they just said, we need to have Echo in this thing. Let's find Echo in real life. Right. And they found her. <laughs> yeah, they're like, let's 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 see if we can find it. Oh, wait a minute. Here's this woman who's never acted before in her life. <laughs> I looked her up because she said that the only thing that she had done before this was she was a uh, background character in like a, a high school play. How about that? And then she just walks in and is like, yeah, I'm Echo, by the way. And they're like, yeah, uh, yeah you, you look, are. <laughs> you were looking for me, right? <laughs> so I think that that is amazing. Like, that's one of those stories that you hear to where you're like, that's perfect. And, and guess what else happened hmm. after after a while out, out of this show and down the timeline of, of the MCU? Hmm. They did it again with Ms. Marvel. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, see, I don't know. I don't know anything about anything about Ms. Marvel yet. Well, all you have to know about Ms. Marvel is that the actress, mm-hmm. Imani, was never acted before in anything else. Oh, really? Okay. Wow, because I've seen her, I saw her on like the, the red carpet or in an interview or something, and she is a very confident young woman, so that's, Isn't she? Su- that's, that's surprising. It's wonderful. She wow. is so, so made, like born for that part. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to that. Good. Uh, so one of the things in here that I, again, I put love next to was I love this chase fight that ends up uh, <laughs> where we get the, you know, we get the Amazing. different, yeah, we um, get all of this, all of the uh, different arrows and we get the, the bridge sequence and 
It's just I thought that that was really, really well done. Yes, yes. And it forced me to do what I expect you always do. Look up the producers and the directors and who did this thing. <laughs> And when I see Bert and Bertie, Bert and Bertie, yeah, a couple of ladies. I, know, I have no idea who they were. I didn't. I don't know anything about them. But I found out that there are two English ladies mm-hmm. who, um, that's not their names. Their, their names are. Do you know their names? Can you say it? Uh, I don't know them offhand. It's they go by Bert and Bertie. So yeah, but her name. One name is Amber Templeball Findlayson. <laughs> I definitely did not know that. And the other one is and the other one is Katie Elwood. Okay. For some reason, they have adopted the word the names Bert and Bertie. Mm-hmm. You figure out why. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know. It's a British but that, thing. But that scene, oh, those scenes in that car with mm-hmm. the with the just the rotating angle lens mm-hmm. taking taking us. From the back window through the sides to the front to the next side back to the back again and around again and around again. Mm. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. It was like movie quality good. And that was, I think, a thing I said to you when you were a year ago when I was <laughs> watching the thing and you were like, I don't know about this. And I said to you in a message text. But it's so movie quality. It is so movie quality. You just wait till you get to the scene. But I didn't tell you the scene, and then you dropped out before. <laughs> That's right. Before you got to the scene. No, I saw this. And you did. It was, oh. it was the first three that I saw. Direct your send your emails to. <laughs> That's right. Plain label podcast at gmail.com. And ask him why. Yeah. What? How could he? Oh. I must have got distracted. There must have been something depressing that I was supposed to watch instead. <laughs> but no, I do I do love that. I, I like that through all of this, though, we didn't lose any of the characterization. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't like all of a sudden she was great at everything and super mm-hmm. serious. Like she was still sort of like beaming with enthusiasm when they would do different uh, when she would shoot different arrows or when they would pull off different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was still, you know, excited about it, mm-hmm. which I thought was was good. And how about that they affected the communication between the two of them by having Clint's um, oh, right. thing gone. Yeah, so right. he wasn't really understanding what she was saying, and they were giving us a, a point a point of view of him at times with the hearing impairment. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's just so many elements at the same time just really working together. Yeah, so I like I like that a lot because it was uh and they and they play with that as the series goes on where they're talking about walking the dog and they're and they're so they're showing how like in sync the two of them have starting to become. Yes. Uh so I liked that. Yes. Um it goes into like right after that scene when they make this impossible escape. Right. I, mean, right. I have to say that's superhero shit right there. <laughs> Remind me of this. In episode three, I put, ooh, this phone call is so good. This is the good yes. shit. What is the, yes. What phone call is this? Remind me. He He gets a call from his kid. From the youngest son. Oh, right, his, right, right, his, right, right. His, his hearing aid is busted. So he can't really hear what his kid is saying. Yes. But, but, but Kate is there, and Kate starts to write the major uh, thoughts that the kid is saying, not the word for word, but she interprets for Clint mm-hmm. 
what his kid is saying because he can't hear it. And his kid is saying, are you going to be home for Christmas? And I thought you were going to I thought you were going to be here for this and this other thing. Mm -hmm. And he's now coming to grips that he's going to let his family down, but he's doing it for a good purpose. But he misses his family. And you can see it in Ritter's face so well, so (laughs) well. And then Haley. Haley is in that scene because you can see it in her face, mm-hmm. right? You can see that she sees how much his family means to him, what a sacrifice he's making, and the fact that he can't communicate with his kids so well right now is affecting him as well that she just jumps in on purpose for him. That's That kind of bonding, that was a scene that was so necessary and so effective for me to bring those two characters even closer together. So it's not anymore just a fangirl with her hero or a wannabe superhero or anything like that. It is two human beings who mm-hmm. are who, who are meeting each other at the heart right there. Mm-hmm. Like like she's like this man needs his family and he's about to sacrifice time from them. Something that's important. And he can't hear his boy. So I'm going to do what I can so that at least he'll understand what his boy is saying. And Renner sells it so well. And there's a point where he says, where he tells his little boy that, no, he's not going to be able to, he might not be able to make it. And there's silence. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the boy is now, you don't see the boy, but there's no, you hear nothing. And Clint is looking at the phone and then he looks at her and he's like, what is he saying? Because he can't hear it. Right. But, she doesn't know that the silence is just silence. And then she is trying – that she tells him in some gesture he's not saying anything. And then it hits him so hard in the heart like, ah, oh, I'm letting him down. Like I'm making him sad. And so he says, buddy, I'm sorry. I'm so, I, You know I want to be there. I'm going to try to do my best. And then he just kind of drifts away from the phone because he looks on the verge of tears. Mm-hmm. And it's not like he's going to break down and cry in front of this girl. Right. Or his boy. But he looked like I'm, I'm about to fucking lose my shit right here. <laughs> right. And, well, I, and I lost mine. I'll, it, I'll just admit that right now. It's the details for me where he calls his son like buddy. Yeah. Right. Like it's that sort of stuff where I'm like, OK, he feels like a dad. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the things that I like about Kate Bishop is that Kate Bishop is not comfortable with feelings but that's not like a capital part of her personality mm-hmm. like she is more comfortable with deflection mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. she's you know maybe because she's lost her father and because her mother is the way that she is uh-huh. uh, but she is very much a I'll just make some sort of comment or I'll mumble to myself mm-hmm. or I'll be ironic as opposed to feeling feelings and during the sequence where she's like, oh, shit, this is like a real moment. And, mm-hmm. and what do I and she's sort of like, what do I do? Because I'm stuck in the middle of this phone conversation. And now that I remember which scene this is, it this is, mm-hmm. it's like I remember Haley Steinfeld's face. And it's just like she's just emoting sympathy mm-hmm. and also helplessness. Yes. And but what about just a touch of the fact that, damn. I don't have my dad. Exactly. I wonder if if this would have been like this with me and my dad. Exactly. And so then, I mean, that's the sort of thing where if this was just a drama, I would expect to see her leave the room and try to call her mom. 
Mm. Because then you're like, oh shit, this is, you know, she's relating this to herself. Mm-hmm. And to where mm-hmm. I, I just felt like there was so many opportunities like this one to where you could have really, like, really twisted the knife for the audience and really, like, punished <laughs> and really punished them. But listen to you. <laughs> we, who wants to do all? <laughs> that's no, what I'm that's, saying. Like that's what that I like. Plenty. That's what I like Daredevil so much because it really made you hurt at times. Oh my god. <laughs> Spare me, please. Give me, give me something of a break. <laughs> so <laughs> that was basically the only. Uh, that was the last thing I had to say about that episode. Mm. Um, episode four is partners am i right and this is when i I wrote down on the side like wait a minute 2007 is when super bad came out and so i didn't know if like i said i didn't know if matt fraction had included all this larper stuff because there was a lot of larping in that super bad film um and it was you know a big deal uh 15 years ago as i look at the calendar i never saw it yeah i didn't figure you would be the audience for that um (laughs) But, uh, and so I was like, because it just seemed random to me to bring up LARPing all of a sudden, Mm. you know, because like that movie came out and was sort of like a, not like an explosion of the idea, but it was sort of like more of a bringing it to the mainstream kind of a thing. I didn't know that. I didn't even know that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, 15 years ago, it just seemed random that it was going to be like LARPing all of a sudden in a 2021 Marvel production. But anyway, um, I do, this is where we get, uh, the, the Black Widow callback. Um, mm-hmm. I liked that. Um, I put that Clint texts like a grandmother because he texts <laughs> so slowly. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh man, I, I complained about the music again as I'm looking at this. So this is, <laughs> this is the first time that I wrote, uh, this is the first time that I watched these episodes. Okay. Um, I liked the idea that everyone dealt with the blip their own way. Yeah. Uh, I put exclamation points next to that one. That's the reason why you would have the LARPers in there. Yeah. Just to, just to have any group of people that are outside of superheroing and what life was like during and after the blip. Mm-hmm. And also, they used that element to, to uh, foreshadow what we're going to find out. Right. For the, in the next episode. Right. Um, which is so cool. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, I put, uh, this is an interesting uh, discussion topic. I put, so Clint focuses on the negative in this episode is what I put down. Where he's, everything is kind of like, woe is Clint, um, is the way that I interpreted it. And so I put, Clint is an Enneagram 4, takes one to no one. Uh, because that, that is what my personality type is as well. So when he's focusing on like, oh, you know, we got the, this group after us or this person's going to do that or whatever and everything's woe is me and I'm not going to make it to my kids. I'm like, yes, exactly. Give me more of this. That was what you liked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, let's see. What in the world? I must have. Th- I could tell this one I wrote mostly in the dark, Alan. My handwriting <laughs> is poor. Uh, oh, OK. So they. Um, the main thing that this one was for me was the rooftop fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I put, there's no fucking way that this is Florence Pugh in most of that roof, rooftop fight. <laughs> because as we talked about in Black Widow, she has a very specific body type mm-hmm. to where mm-hmm. she's, she's shorter and a little bit, um, like 
squarely built. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you, I saw this person with a with a basically like a mask on mm-hmm. f- running around, I'm like, this person, that's not Florence Pugh, that's not Yelena. There's mm-hmm. no way. And then they pull out and they reveal her, and I'm like, no, it's like there's no way that's supposed to be her. Well, did were you did you think that they wanted you to know it was her from the beginning? Well, I thought that I mean, the mask is yet. I mean, it makes complete sense that it's her, Mm -hmm. um, you know, from a storytelling point of view. But it was just like this stunt double doesn't look anything like her. And you don't feel like that was on purpose. Well, but I mean, what? I don't understand what that is. Like, we're going to get someone to not look like her and then reveal that it is her. That's like some, that's like some daytime soap stuff. (laughs) But also, maybe it's just that Florence Pugh has certain dimensions, but Yelena is still supposed to be a, a, a red, a red room, black widow, willowy fighter kind of badass, eight heads tall chick. Right. Yeah. That, that makes more sense to me, I guess. I think. <laughs> okay, I, I get you now. <laughs> so oh, that when man. they when they yank the mask off, viewers who who didn't study her anatomy like you and I have mm-hmm. <laughs> would just think that Florence Pugh's face is on the top of this long willowy body. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. So this is this is one of the things where oh, this is where I started having some some struggles. Um, I, I do like, again, I think that this show does these, the comic book endings very well. Like the, the monthly floppy comic books. Uh-huh. I think that these end in a really strong way where you get this big reveal here as to who Eleanor has been working with and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Right. Oh, that's the fifth episode, I guess. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. Yeah. These are Can't give it away so soon. Yeah. Um, so this is the big, this is the big, uh, Yelena reveal. And then mm-hmm. the next one is the one that I was just referencing. <clears throat> if I can read my own uh, episode four, episode five stuff. Um, so, no, I think that the, the the endings work well. I thought that some of this for me was a little bit sloppy with the choreography, which I was like surprised by. Mm. Um, and I know that this is also Bert and Birdie, but they were not the only ones that directed all of these. Uh, they did half of them. And then uh, Reese Thomas did the other half. But I think he did one. I think he did one and two, and then six. Yes, correct. And, and then they, they did, did the middle ones. They, yeah, they did three, four, and five. Yeah, and so I thought that three. I mean, we were just gushing about what I thought was such a good fight sequence, and then this one with it being more hand to hand. I didn't. I didn't love it as much. I was kind of like, huh. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. So just, I don't know if it was just from the idea phase or what, but I just didn't think that the, the action was quite as crisp in this particular episode. Well, think of it, think of it like this. It started out with Kate going to an apartment to get this watch that mm-hmm. came for, for me. Now for me, this watch seemed to come out of nowhere. Yes. Like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't understand what the deal was about this watch, but she goes to get this watch because it's, giving off some kind of signal. She goes into the apartment. She it, she finds out that the apartment that she's in is is Echo's apartment. Right. Because there are personal pictures of Echo and her dad around the place. Echo attacks her because Echo's home, I guess. And Echo doesn't need, um, well, I don't know. 
she didn't have her lights on for some reason <laughs> in, her, <laughs> right. in her own apartment. She knew somehow that Kate was coming to steal the watch from her or that was or I think that there was like a didn't she like trip an alarm or something like that? Yes, it was a flashing light alarm. And Clint twigged that a person doesn't need sound. They need a, a light flash if it's an alarm, if they don't, if they're not hearing. So that's probably Echo's apartment. You need to get out of there. And it's while he's telling her that, Echo attacks her. Right. And that's when they think that for a minute, don't they think for a minute that Yelena is actually Echo? No, no, they don't. What happens then is while he's warning her and while she starts to fight Echo in the apartment across the street on the rooftop, Clint gets attacked. Oh, right, right. By yeah, somebody. That's right. And then Clint thinks that it's Echo attacking that's him right. on the roof. Yeah, that's right. And she says it can't be because I'm looking right at her. <laughs> yeah, she's attacking she, me here yeah, right. in this apartment. Right. And then, then Clint shoots a, a zip line for her to get from that apartment over to the roof. Mm-hmm. And and she makes it. Well, she gets. She get, makes it most of the way. Yeah. <laughs> most of the way. Something happens. She gets stuck. She's hanging over the the avenue. And then, I guess it gets twanged or something. And she's able to make it the rest of the way. She gets on the roof. And then and then Echo follows. Now there's four people on the roof fighting. Mm-hmm. So the the choreography was to have Kate and Echo fighting in the apartment. Clint and assailant fighting on the roof because the assailant has the mask on then they marry the two fights together on the roof and now you got four people fighting kind of a a square dance Mm -hmm. of fighting Mm -hmm. and that's a little difficult but i feel like they pulled that off because i understood that that that's what was happening Hmm. okay for whatever reason in the moment i i thought it must not have uh been choreographed the way that I would have preferred, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I didn't. I just put that the. I thought that the rooftop fighting was sloppy. So I'm not sure what it is in particular that I was bumping up against. But maybe something it's hard to tell who was fighting who. Yeah, maybe I, that's what it was. Maybe it's not quite like the. Um, oh, you remember the old Daredevil movie where it's like close-ups and it's just punches being thrown and you're not really certain who's doing what. Where it was like Bullseye and Elektra and Daredevil, and they're all like throwing punches, but you just couldn't like track what was happening whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like that, I guess. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so uh, that was where I mean, I thought that that episode was fine. I didn't, I didn't really love it, but I was like, okay, this is this is still going fine. Like this is still just tracking along, and I'm not having any like, you know, turn it off kind of concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you get any ping pang at? Clint's pain when Kate is almost is is thrown off the roof, physically thrown off the roof, and then she's suspended there, and he has to pull her up, and he's looking down at her like he was looking down at and Natasha. Natasha. Yeah, I thought that that was a little on the nose. Uh, mm. <laughs> I mean, intentionally so, but it's sort of like I get it. Like he's he's having this sort of issue. It's it's sort of like the Gwen Stacy. Like, how many times do we need to see the woman fall this way, Pete? You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, so I get but then Clint's reaction was, you're not my partner. Go mm-hmm. home. Yeah. He's, he's, and then he said in, in dialogue, I'm not – wait. He said, I'm not doing this mm-hmm. or I'm not going to let this happen. Yeah, he was so basically he, refuting her, yeah. Yeah, but he didn't finish that line, which was, I'm not going to lose another person. Right. Right? And that was powerful. Mm. 
me. And I like the fact that he didn't finish the words, right? He just, that, that the choice, the artistic choice was to let the idea come through to us, the viewers, instead of it being, like you're saying, on the nose. Mm-hmm. But she, she wasn't ready to hear that. She, did, she didn't want to get kicked off, kicked out at that point. Right. Um, so episode five is Ronan. This is the episode where it is what I called the Yelena and Kate show. Mm. Um, I put that the two of them are fucking great together. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Then later I, you know, this is one of those where I can always tell how invested I am when it's past the first episode based on how much I write. Mm. Um, This I put, I wrote very few things because I just put that first line and then I put, God damn, I love the two of them. (laughs) Um, and then I put the, oh yeah. And so, so we'll get to that later. But I think that again, this is similar in terms of comedic style, but it's not the same. Like it's not the same as Tony Stark Mm -hmm. and it's not the same as Chris Pratt, which I feel like are too similar of jokes, Mm -hmm. uh, to where here Yelena has some either ironic jokes or, um, just sort of like little uh, observations that she makes while she's either making mac and cheese or whatever, mm-hmm. right? To where it's just things that you watch and you're just like, how can you not love Florence Pugh and Yelena? <laughs> because I think that she seems like she's just having such a good time. Mm-hmm. And I think that that sort of comes through to the audience to where we're having a good time watching her have a good time. Yeah, with her, with her learned... Russian accent. Yeah, that's right. And she's like, you know, it's just very matter of fact that, oh, yeah, I'm going to kill Clint. Um, but, you know, it's whatever. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, she's especially with the last episode, it's like she gets along with Kate pretty well. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, yeah, we should have drinks. And she's like, I we should and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not here to hurt you or or wreak havoc in New York City. I'm just here to kill Clint. Yeah, and they're talking about where they should go in New York, what she wants to go and see. Mm-hmm. Elena wants to go see the you know Empire State Building and the Statue of Liberty and all kinds of stuff. Sure. Yeah, and so, so I just thought I just free? think that that's all real endearing and charming on her part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but Kate is is is. Um... Haley is giving Kate that pensive, like you, you, you are trying, you were trying to kill us all. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, like, yeah, Yelena's you, just you like that guy, right? Yeah, Yelena is just basically playing. She's the cat and Kate's the mouse, right? Like she's just like playing with her because she she knows she could take her out whenever she wants, mm. and she just sort of has that sense of authority about her that. uh you know, Kate's sort of like, ooh, everything's cool, everything's good, you know, <laughs> during their conversation. And Yelena's just relaxing and chit-chatting and having some girl time, like she said, and uh, and just, in, you know, just having a, a nice night. And I just think that all of that stuff works really, really well. Yeah. And, it, of course, it's it's coming from the, the ending of Black Widow. Right. Um, where What's-Her-Face valentina della rosa what, what her name is again i forgot julia oh. louise dreyfus well yes the actress that because <laughs> i will now ever remember is putting her uh, putting her team together putting her team together mm-hmm. so she she sent elena to go and kill 
Barton. Which is, now explain this part to me. Because that was my belief as well, was that it was it was Val that sent her to kill Clint. Yeah. But then, why am I under the impression that Kate's mother hired Val, hired Yelena? Well, how about middleman? Okay. How about, how about just, they bumped it up to give uh, Kate's mom just a little bit more of a villainy. Mm, okay. Because that was that was one of the things where I was like, wait a minute, I thought that this was Val that sent yeah. her here. Uh, at some time, maybe we'll see Val visit uh, Eleanor in prison or something. Hmm. Okay. Right, because they hired they they hired Vera to do this character, and this character doesn't wind up dead <laughs> at <laughs> right, the end right. of the show. So maybe you know they're going to get their money's worth out of her. Yeah, you would think. You would think she, so. One of the other things that I really liked about this episode was um, I put that, uh, you know, it, it, collateral damage is all well and good until it becomes somebody personal, right? Because they, they're talking about, and you get this a lot, especially in the, the last episode, is there's people getting shot with arrows. There's people getting blown yes. up. Yes. And it's like, but but wait a minute. If it's somebody I know, now it's for real. <laughs> but if it's a work <laughs> associate, who gives a shit? But if it's like some, if it's someone I'm close to... Ooh, that's that's too far. Now, so that was one of the pieces that I I forgot to mention during that car chase, mm, amazing. Yeah, yeah. That the very first trick arrow that that Kate shot out was an explosive arrow that blew up the van, and the van spun and flipped and crashed and burned. Mm-hmm. And, and and the other guys who were who were associated with those drivers or whoever was in that van drove around it looked at it and kept going and she said oh that's a that's a that's a trick arrow that explodes you got another one like that it didn't seem to bother her too much nope that she just killed two people cold blooded kate bishop <laughs> <laughs> and so you just imagine if this was one of those marvel netflix series like the daredevil one it would have been even bloodier and, and I don't remember it bothering her at all for the rest of this entire no, series. No, it doesn't come up because because <laughs> we have when when we get to the next episode, we have so much other things going on, so many mm-hmm. other things to where that doesn't. Yeah, we don't get an insight into how that affects her. So that stepped outside of the PG thirteen kind of sensibility, kind of <laughs> dis- channeled sensibilities. We just watched her murder two people. Yeah. Um, to to her credit, she didn't know she was murdering them when she shot the arrow. Yeah, but sure. after they died, she she could clearly see that they couldn't have gotten out of that thing, and it didn't. You know, she didn't say, "Turn around, we have to see if they're okay." Uh, what do you? I, I mean, nothing, nothing. Well, she wasn't that upset about destroying property in that first episode either. She was just, you know, upset about getting caught doing it. Mm. You know, true. This she's is true. A, she's a rascal. She's a little rascal. rascal. So another piece of her rascality that led her in the first episode was her mother uh, told her, put on the red dress in your room and come join us. Oh, yeah. And she shows up in a black tuxedo instead, Mm -hmm. which just helped her fit into the staff so she could infiltrate this secret thing. But that she she was she's defiant. Yeah, defiant. She's a little rascal, just yeah, like you said. That's right. Uh, I do like the well, – this is – you know, uh, Clint's all beat up here, and he falls particularly hard and screws up his shoulder, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do like that we get the the getaway is, is an Uber. 
<laughs> I thought that that was funny to where, you know, they're limping to a car and instead of like a, you know, an ally saying, get in the car, you know, whatever yeah. it's or, or a Quinjet. Yeah, exactly. And it's uh whatever Melissa or whatever the name was that she gave to the, to the person. And she's like, yep, that's me. <laughs> and then they get away. That was just another little clever kind of a cute sort of a thing that I thought was good. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get to the the end reveal, though, that I already spoiled, one of the characters that we haven't brought up, which is one of the uh, subplots, is Kazi. Oh, is yeah. is uh, that whole bit of business? What did you think of that and him and and Maya's relationship as we bridge to the sixth episode? I think they I think they layered that in there so that they could re- they could redeem Maya's character. Mm, yeah. Right. Instead instead of her just being the head of the tracksuit mafia and nefarious and just taking a revenge out on for her father's death by Ronin, by the way, mm-hmm. if, we didn't, if we didn't mention that, uh-huh. that there was a, a, a bit of deception that she, she was deceived by one of her associates and that there's another tie that she doesn't exactly have so that she's not com- so tied to the mob and, she doesn't have reason to stay with the mob when she finds out that she has been betrayed by somebody closer to, close to her. Uh huh. So yeah, it was just, it was just convenient that, for her. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I already said this, um, uh, before, but this is when we get the, the sort of reveal of Eleanor and who she's been doing business with. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the, the two of the three episodes that my wife had not seen and she was, surprised and somewhat devastated to find out that fisk fisk from daredevil (laughs) that's my favorite guy (laughs) i go Mm -hmm. i know and so she just could not believe that he shows up that wilson fisk as the kingpin uh, did she think that was a bad idea uh, she was like very intrigued Mm -hmm. um and you could sort of see her like figuring out like wait a minute i thought that was like a netflix thing this is a disney thing like what I was overjoyed. And and so he shows up and I was like, oh shit. Okay. It is the kingpin. Exactly. Exactly. It's an oh shit moment because that means that the Daredevil miniseries was, is in the MCU. That's what, uh-huh. told, that's what that told me. Uh-huh. Now, when I, when I, you know, when I got all euphoric about it, friend, friend of a friend of a friend of a friend, Daryl Taylor. <laughs> Would not allow me to enjoy <laughs> because he said that they weren't going to do the Netflix stuff anymore. It's all out of contract and Marvel doesn't own the properties anymore and blah, 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 blah. And then I'm saying, but, but, but Kingpin, but Vincent D'Onofrio's playing him, but it's Wilson Fisk. It's, it's the character. That don't mean nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good Daryl. <laughs> but i held on to hope mm-hmm. i held on to what i tell you yeah so i was i was glad to see um i was hoping that that wasn't going to be all that we saw of him it was just that one little piece right at the end of five and we open episode six so this is christmas and it's like nope here's mf and kingpin right in your face yeah. <laughs> and he shows up and he's got like this new little arsenal in his face acting that Vincent D'Onofrio does where he's like shaking the little bag below one of his eyes. 
And then his whole like side of his face starts to tremble. And I was, and so I wrote down at one point, like Kingpin is still scary as hell. <laughs> like he's a scary dude. He's been through some shit. Jeez. Yeah. As we saw, <laughs> but he's, uh, um, I just, I think that he is so good as this, as this character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I was really, really glad to see his return and his like, not at all veiled threats to Eleanor as she was ending their business relationship. Trying to. Uh, as trying to, yeah. And I liked that um, later we get the reasoning as to why, to Kate, as to why her mother did these things. And maybe her father wasn't the man that she thought he was and had been in league with or been owing money to uh, to Mr. Fisk and all this kind of stuff, right? Mm. Uh, so I thought that a lot of that worked really well. Where I was a little bit disappointed is what I alluded to, maybe when we're recording, maybe not, but it's when um, Clint says in this episode, Kate, you're my partner. Mm. And it came at a moment where it was so early in the episode to where I was like, I just wrote thud next to it. Because I just (gasps) thought that it didn't have the emotion that it was supposed to. Because I felt like... As the writers or as the director, they're like, ooh, yeah, we fucking got him right there. Like, boom, day off work. That's it. Like, we did our job right there. But I watched that moment and I was like, ooh, that did nothing for me. Like, that didn't hit me at all like it was supposed to. But, Eric, you know, you, you've been kind of resistant to all the emotional pieces. I know. So, what were they, how could they have gotten through to you? It seems like, sir. but see, like, I was, I was really into it when it was about Clint. Not only with, uh, you know, feeling the responsibility of Natasha's death, but also his body sort of betraying him because we get those, you know, those things of why is he losing his hearing and you see all the explosions near him and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we get those sorts of things where I'm like, oh, I like the idea of, you know, Clint may be really skilled and very good at what he does, but it's very athletic <laughs> and he's like just not able to do it as much as he used to be able to and i kind of oh, thought man. that i kind of thought that that was interesting but it it just felt like this was not the right moment to hit that you're my partner line it felt like they could have been in dire straits and he wants her help or he wants her to you know she turns away from her responsibilities and he has to drop a line on her to that gets her to come back to his side sort of a thing I just felt like that there was a lot of opportunities and this came really early in the episode. I was, just, I was just sort of pra- surprised and wrong-footed by it, I guess. Is that the practical purpose of Clint, for instance, to galvanize this person to continue to help and get the mission done? Mm. So maybe maybe it, it rang a little false because maybe it was a little false at the moment. Oh, it could be. It was more about a spy's... Um, ability to manipulate the circumstance so they can get the mission finished okay see i like that idea a lot if we would have had like kate then get wide-eyed and be like holy shit like a big this is powerful to her and then we get a little bit of a lit a look at clint and see that it's not Mm. really the moment that she thinks it is Mm. but then he you know at the end of the episode he redeems the he, meaning of he it. does, yeah, he does. So it's like, I I would have loved for Clint Barton to just be a little bit more of a jerk. 
Uh, it's kind of what it is. It's like he's trying to help his kids. He doesn't have time to deal with this 22-year-old Kate Bishop. And it's like, <laughs> man, good for you. Linda Cardin- Cardellini is uh, Laura. Mm-hmm. Good for her for being secure that Clint's not just out screwing around with this young 22-year-old. <laughs> this nubile this, college. This college like girl. younger, taller version of, of Laura. Right? <laughs> right? Because she has like similar hair and features. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, like that's awful trusting. Oh yeah, I'm just gotta I gotta complete this mission, you know. Ah, like, but, okay. But Laura Barton um knew that Clint and Natasha were just f- best friends. Yeah, rather. but Natasha wasn't didn't look like a twenty years younger version of her. I mean, it's not always about the physical. <laughs> Clint Clint and Natasha had a relationship. That's true. Because he did say he loved her and all that stuff. So that's even more threatening than just some nubile little little bunny. <laughs> it's true. Laura is a secure woman, and we find out why when we get yes. the watch. Yes. Right. right. So that was another pow. pow! Mm-hmm. I loved that part. Mm-hmm. Just and they didn't even say it. No. You know? No, you just saw the symbol, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Well, and the symbol itself was more like an actual word. Did, was it not? It said agent. It said. Um, oh gosh, now I don't. I don't remember what it said. Um, does it say Agent Eighteen? I didn't see. I didn't see that. It was more than a symbol, or, or it was just a number. Maybe it was a number. Okay. But I looked it up, and it was the number of Mockingbird. No way. See, uh, yeah, that's why I was uh, missed. See, I was so upset that that wasn't one of the alts that Kate threw out when she was talking about the names. Uh huh. I was like, why doesn't she say Mockingbird? Just, because she, you're right. She's not going to be Mockingbird. She, Clint already had his Mockingbird. What the f? Yeah, I compl- I did not get that at all. Yes. So I I. But uh, wait a minute. Why her name's not Bobby though? It's not. I know. That's the that's the a little bit of bullshit. The bad, bad confusion. <laughs> but what we don't know is is Laura her real name. Oh. Okay. Just to just to get the reveal that Laura was in the trenches with Clint. Right. They were both agents, not just she's married to an agent. Yeah, she's not she's just this. To- uh, she's not the happy housewife. Right. Yeah. And so that's that was why she was so down with the information that Clint was sharing as he was going along. Mm-hmm. How she kind of understood the codes that mm-hmm. he was giving while he was talking to her on the phone. Like she was so in in touch with all his doings that he did, he wasn't lying to her at any point. He was giving all the details that he had to give to let her know. So she was like a partner on the phone, like the man in the chair. Right. She was like that. And what was her involvement? We find out in that last scene to see, oh, that's her watch. Oh, she was an agent. And that little symbol on the back, that's a number. And that number is Mockingbird's number because, and this is where I went when I got this information, because I also didn't understand what that little symbol was, Mm -hmm. right? So I did some digging, and the Internet is is so plenteous with information (laughs) to give you. Mm-hmm. So when I went back into my into Marvel Unlimited to look up Bobby Morse, I found that she was introduced as a, as well. At first, she was introduced as a femme fatale in a Kazar book. Okay. And she it was in the seventies. 
She was um, imperiled in the Savage Land. Uh, no, at first she was looking for Kazar in England, and then she goes to the Savage Land to find him because she has something to tell him. It's about his heritage and who he's born to and who his family is. She gets chased by dinosaurs. She gets dumped in, in a lake, all this stuff. And then it's revealed later that she is a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, actually. And her S.H.I.E.L.D. number designation was the number on the back of that watch. Hmm. Okay. So I do like knowing that. Uh, like I said, I didn't get that. Yeah. So I, I guess her Laura could have been a, a, a code name just like, you know, if she's retired from S.H.I.E.L.D., if she's now being a, a housewife and a mother to three kids, if she's off the grid... Why would she have the same name that she had when she was working? Hmm. Right? Well, yeah. And wasn't that, the wrong. Reason, wasn't that the reason also why it became important to get that watch out of nowhere? Yeah, that's true. To save his wife's um, identity. Mm-hmm. And that's why so, it meant so much. Right. So yeah. I think that that, I think that the, the Clint and Laura stuff with his family is the most successful part of episode six. I think that that all works really well. It works. I don't like that works really well for me and you, especially because I didn't know that at all. I was just like, oh, she's a shield agent. Okay, awesome. Mm. Uh, I didn't know about the Mockingbird stuff, obviously. Uh, where episode six is, I put, oh man, this is kind of a mess. Is yeah, lots of people chasing people. Lots around. of people. We get stuff <laughs> like even like the Larpers and Jack have a moment. Mm-hmm. Um. We get Eleanor helping Kate versus the Kingpin. We have Maya versus Kazi. We have Yelena versus Clint. And what mm-hmm. was is that my my issue was that each one of those had a different tone. So mm-hmm. we had Yelena doing her Florence Pugh sad face, <laughs> right? She was doing her anguished face, mm-hmm. and she's got like the she uh, extends out the big stick. The, the big like metal rod mm-hmm. and like starts whacking him with it. And you mm-hmm. can tell that that's damn near breaking his arms, mm-hmm. right? Because of the sound effects. But then you pair that with Kate and she's doing like some, she's doing like some Saturday morning cartoon stuff with Wilson Fisk in a literal toy store, right? Yeah. In a toy store. <laughs> and she's like doing the callback to snapping the, the beer bottle top to the beer Which cap. Was- Kind of cute callback. Which I thought that that was cute, that they ended up using that. So it was like, that was cute, where we had Clint and Yelena, and that was supposed to be, like, cathartic and and tragic. Mm. And then we had Maya and Kazi, and I didn't give a shit about that. I was like, (laughs) I, you know, because it was like, I like Alakwa Cox as the character, but I was like, yeah, he's he's a dipshit. Like, he's been a dipshit since the beginning. Mm. And she trusted him, but I don't know that we ever felt like... Like, he was a guy that, oh, he's bad, and it turns out he's real bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, all right. It was it was kind of clear to me that he was going to be a traitor in some way. Yeah, it was like he was in it too much to be yeah, just was, straight up. Like, why was he even there? <laughs> uh-huh. Right? Like, she she's the boss. They're the, the – these other tracksuit folks are the thugs. She tells them what to do, and they do it. Did, was he – if he was more than just an interpreter. Uh-huh. So – what 
why wasn't he just standing there interpreting for her and then just scutter off to the side somewhere? Why was he had all this other piece to do? And I figured, well, yeah. they put him in there because they're going to he's going to he's going to be a traitor or something. Yeah. So help me with this. How much do you remember about Echo as a character? Like she has like powers, question mark? I I remember virtually nothing about about Echo in the comics. I never read much of what she did. I only started reading her after they put her in the, the Avengers under um, Jason Aaron's. Right? Okay, so I don't know anything about that. I I do. I remember reading when she was in the Bendis uh, Malieve Daredevil stuff because right. I, re- I remember her having like a big face print on the middle of her face. Yes, on the side of her face. On the side and of her it, face, yeah. And it was face. echoed in the in her father's death scene. They yeah, did do that, right? Yeah. And so, I, I guess I would have to pull out the issues again to see if she is deaf and a martial artist. Yeah, and her powers are like Taskmaster's powers. Oh, okay. She can copy. So that's what why she she, also why she's named Echo then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because here I'm just like, well, she's good at fighting, but. That was kind of the whole like that was she didn't have any powers it seemed like to me, mm-hmm. right? Right. And in the in the in this series, I don't think she has actual powers. It was that survival mechanism that she had to do when she was in the school with okay. other hearing kids. Yeah, to where she could sit and she was just like more observant. It wasn't like she was learning like a taskmaster sort of situation. Right. Yeah. To where, and, where I kind of like that better actually. To where it's like no, she's just smart and like pays attention as opposed yeah. to memorizing. Yeah, and here's yeah. A, here's something that I twigged when I was watching it. I like the word twigged, if you hadn't gathered, <laughs> that the girl that played her as a young girl yeah. is Alakwa Cox's second cousin. Oh, okay. And Makes you sense, because she looks a lot like her. Exactly like her. And when I was looking, when I looked it up, I was like, I'm expecting to see that this chick is her daughter. <laughs> sure, yeah. Because, I mean, everything is... So identical to the adult yeah, actress. Yep, the face shape especially was really face similar. The shape, the eyes, the thickness of the lips, like so much looks just like this adult actress. Uh, they have to be related, and they are. And they are. Well, good, because I thought that they were both uh, consistent, which is not something that you always get with young actors and then older actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that's, so that was good. I just thought that – so I guess – that was the storyline to where I get now that, you know, she has her own show that I believe is still coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't, that was not something that I got most emotionally invested in. Mm-hmm. I thought that Yelena and Clint had a, had like the most potential of these different fights. Um, when I told my wife that, you know, Fisk shows up and she's, and I was like, well, she fights Haley Steinfeld. And she's like, what? And she goes, did she just like push her through a wall or something? And I was like, well, basically. And she's like, okay, well, that makes sense. <laughs> um, but so I just thought that they were going for so many different tones in this fight and they kept cutting back between them to where it, it just sort of lessened all of them for me. And I don't have like an, like I love being the person that's like, here's what they should have done. I don't know what, <laughs> what you can do in this because you, if you're reading it, you can sort of take your time and really kind of get into the moment of look at how pained Yelena is during this fight. And she doesn't necessarily want to do this, 
now that she knows that Clint's not an absolute, like not an absolute bastard or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but she feels like she, you know, owes it to herself or owes it to Natasha and that sort of thing. But when you're seeing it real time in a live action show, it's like you're cutting between tones so often. It's, it's hard to sort of rubber band around like that. Hmm. So I don't know. I was all right with it myself. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of grew up watching, um, you know, Scooby-Doo and Josie and the Pussycats. (laughs) Mm. So you're you're okay with the, you know, Wilson? Because once I described how that moment ends to my wife, she goes, she was like impersonating sort of like a Frankenstein uh frankenstein's monster sort of movement and she's like "Ooh, i'm the big bad and i was like that's exactly what it was like it was like you know he's the big bad at the end of the video game that is not real easy to move around and it takes a lot of punishment but then once you finally knock him off his feet then he's just done Mm. and that was sort of like kate's deal is she damn near blew him up right but it was like Mm -hmm. one offensive move and then he was done for Mm -hmm. but he still lasted long enough to get what (laughs) yeah so that was the other thing. It's like, okay, so man, Wilson Fisk getting done dirty is my last note. <laughs> getting done, getting done dirty in this show. So he, you know, last we saw him in Daredevil, he gets the shit kicked out of him by Matt Murdock in season three of Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Just gets brutalized. Then it's like, okay, I'm, I'm all right. I got Eleanor under my thumb. I'm gonna fight this little 22 year old Kate Bishop. <laughs> and then he gets blown up. Who through you know by a lucky shot, right? It's a little lucky flick that gets all those uh, broken lucky. arrows. It's lucky. We just saw <laughs> six episodes of the fact that she is a capable and yeah. a highly skilled. Um, what is it? An archer. archer. Um, if but what else when you're not using archery and you're still great like with a marksman targets. sort of a thing. Marksman, there you go. Yeah, but she couldn't do it before, Alan. So it's luck. She did it before. No, she kept messing it up. And then she did it when it when her and Clint was learning. Oh, that's right. She was training. <laughs> her final flick was she turned the, the the television on with that flick, like Clint turned it off with his first flick. That's right. So she she had it. She had the skill. So anyway, so he gets beat by that, and you're like, all right, well Wilson's gonna go like walk with his tail between his legs and walk away or whatever. But no, then <laughs> contrary to all of Disney plus of what I would have assumed mm-hmm. is Maya shows up and she's basically like, I know that you're the SOB that put my dad in this position, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then pulls a gun out and shoots him, Bam! <laughs> shoots him off screen granted, but still like, uh, not like a, uh, a very like not a nuanced sound like it was like a boom (laughs) and you're like whoa so the impression is that kate bishop kills some people doesn't care maya our next hero in this sort of specific world like straight up shoots a man like almost point blank (laughs) doesn't give a shit (laughs) we see clint we can see clint like sticking people sticking the track suit mafia with arrows left and right in this episode yeah Mm-hmm. And it's like this is awful blood first thirsty for it playing pretty uh family friend family friendly. And that's that's the kind of I suppose the balance they have to keep towards the PG thirteen stuff and and the violence. Because mm-hmm. he was shooting people back when they were escaping 
when they were both tied up and, and there was time to escape from that thing. When they first met Echo, he was shooting them then. He was shooting them in the shoulder. He shot one guy's hand to a post oh, with, a yeah. back, with a back shot. Now, come on. <laughs> Evidently, Clint Barton has some latent telekinesis going on. <laughs> because he shot one person, then he shot another person in the shoulder, and then he just turned the bow backwards and kind of hunched down and shot a guy's hand into the post. <laughs> that would have been hard to do if you were looking at him. Right. Clint wasn't even looking at him. But the thing I think that keeps it from being, um, that keeps it permissible by Disney is that you're not seeing any blood. That's true, yeah. So maybe they're getting away with a lot of stuff. Well, and they've got this, animals. they've got this whimsical Christmas music that continues throughout too. So to it's like, oh, we're up. all having fun and it's all jolly <laughs> yeah. and, you know, never mind all of the times that the that the uh, Home Alone, the wet bandits from Home Alone would have been killed several times because of this right. little psycho kid. <laughs> Forget about that. It's like that sort of tone. Psycho kid, nothing. You came to my house. <laughs> That's true. You, you fucked around and found out. Like, <laughs> don't come here. Don't come here. <laughs> oh, man. So... So this uh, this was frustrating for me. Like this had moments to where I thought it was so good, and then had moments to where I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Um, and then big, it was yeah. like a big merry-go-round and carousel. It was, and it, it's almost fighting. like it, it's like that scene in the sixth episode perfectly wraps up what I thought of the series, where it's like there was parts that were really good. There's some parts I was scratching my head. There's some parts where I was like, I don't know what if they really expect me to care about this cozy stuff at all like what is this even doing in here mm. um so i don't know it just was it was a mixed bag um i wouldn't say that uh you know i don't know that i would i would uh, jump out and watch it again but if i would it's because i do think that jeremy renner and Haley steinfeld are so good mm-hmm. and i think that florence Pugh is so good mm-hmm. um it's just sort of like at times it felt like uh eight to 10 episodes worth of material and put in six episodes Oh, uh, to where okay. I just felt like, you know, especially what I, I feel like with the Maya stuff with, uh, with Kazi and then with the, the stuff with Jack, it's like, did these, were these vital to the, to the show? Like you could have found another way without including some of these other strands. Well, it could have been fan service, you know, yeah, because been. swordsman was instrumental to, Hawkeye's development in the comic books. It was Swordsman that taught Hawkeye how to be Hawkeye. Mm. He and was I the think, mentor figure, right? Yeah, he was the mentor figure. Even though, you know, he was a criminal and Hawkeye was a criminal. And when they came into the Avengers, they were turning a new leaf and Hawk and Swordsman kept screwing up. Mm-hmm. And he kept like he was begging after mantis so hard that he just was a wreck and a mess and eventually died and then he got taken over by a alien life form <laughs> and it goes on and on as and you on. do yeah as you do because he came back <laughs> a couple of years ago in continuity in the comics mm. as this alien thing but he was again a bad guy so a mess and this character was portrayed by was Dalton was Tony Dalton Tony Dalton as a bit of a mess. Yeah, right. Yeah. He was he was uh in, he was inadequate 
at times. He was corny at times. He was earnest at times. He was greedy at times. And he was a foil because what we didn't say so far is that mom was setting him up right. to, to be the fall guy for uh, Fisk. So she put his name as the CEO of the shell company that was funding the tracksuit people. Mm-hmm. And that was the big red herring was that um, that Mockingbird, the girl in the chair, told Clint that Jack's name is the name that is the CEO of the shell company. So Clint tells tells Kate and Kate's like, well, my mom is now trying to marry this guy who is the head of this mobsters when it was mom all along that set Jack up. So Jack was this he's he's just this earnest guy that loves this woman trying to get along with her daughter is good with swords and is a bit of a fanboy himself trying to be cool <laughs> uh-huh. and winds up used. And now he's redeemable because he, he didn't have, he didn't have anything to do with any of that criminal stuff. He didn't, but did I didn't, did he seem bothered by any of it? I mean, he got I, out of jail and was like, yeah, I got a jail. It's fine. <laughs> so maybe we'll see more about him too. Maybe I don't know, or maybe he's just gone. Or maybe the next time you see him, he'll be green and he'll be actually an alien. <laughs> That's you know, right. He'll, he'll have been taken over by an alien. Maybe he'll be in Secret of Invasion, which I just learned this week is a series coming and not a movie. Yeah, a series of old Samuel L. Yeah. So that uh, that'll be interesting. Yes, it will. And I'll be watching every single minute of it. I'm sure you will. I'll see it probably a year after the fact. <laughs> as I do. <laughs> as I do. Well, anything else about uh, Hawkeye that we haven't mentioned? Where do you think uh, they're going to go next with these characters? Um, maybe Young Avengers. Ah. I was wondering if, they, if they're going to... Well, I know... Unfortunately, I know because uh, I saw a picture. Uh-oh. That I try to avoid all the time, but they are building up the Thunderbolts, ah. right? And so far, Yelena's going to be in it. Taskmaster's going to be in it. Mm, okay. And oh gosh, well I forgot who else. Is oh, be. Uh, U.S. Agent. Yes, yes. Your so, boy, Mister Walker. <laughs> So I'm wondering if they're going to be the foil for the Young Avengers. Oh, okay. Since there's a bit of a, you know, there's a bit of a connection. It's interesting. Sometimes I get hesitant about uh, doing too much too quick. Mm-hmm. And I feel I like that. I feel like we're getting this. We're getting plenty of sub characters in these TV versions. Mm-hmm. getting a lot of secondary figures and then if they're also going to try to tell me I need to care about all these characters and all their own shows and movies I'm like ooh I don't know I'm not going to go put any dollar bills down watching a John Walker movie I'll tell you that I know that's right <laughs> although I like Wyatt Russell <laughs> and I, lo- I had much many high hopes for that character <laughs> uh, but yeah so I don't know that's my only concern is that maybe uh it's it's almost like a um, not being confident in what you're doing, so you're trying to do like too much too quick. It also does though mirror the 
the way comic books are made. Yeah. And the fact that they make so many of them and they branch out so far and then they have a whole little universe going on over here and then they have a little backstory and stuff going on over there, then a, a little mini series with one character there. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of just trying to flood the market with their property so they can make as much money as possible. That Marvel formula, maybe they're trying that with the movies. Could be. Many series. Some may argue that they're already doing that with as many movies and shows that come out. Mm-hmm. You know, and whether whether that lessens your interest in the characters or not is up to the individual. I yeah. guess. Up to the execution of the characters too. Like this one, this one was decidedly not for me in terms of the tone. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could be something to where, like, if, um, you know, if the kiddo, for example, saw this, like, she did see parts with Florence Pugh in it, and she's like, she's in this movie? And I said, yeah, and so she sat and watched the scene that Florence Pugh was in, mm. because she was interested in that, but as soon as it cut away to Clint or whoever it was, she's like, all right, I'm going to go back to my room. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so, I don't know, that's always the threat when you're, you know, you're building out the world so much and putting out so much stuff it's like it does if it has like less of a event sort of feel to it mm-hmm. because it's like well now i've got one of these every month or so like what as opposed to once a year or whatever but that also so. speaks to human nature in itself that's true we get used to something and then it becomes just routine and we're looking for the next new thing you are correct you are Second. correct Psychologically speaking, in fact. That's right. It's kind of the way our brain chemistry works. That's right. So uh, Alan liked it more than I did. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) As if that's not evident just from word one, right? That that's how it's going to (laughs) go. Although unlike uh, unlike the Loki series, which you thought was the least engaging of the series to this point, Mm-hmm. Which, if I look at my IMDb as of right now, it is the one that is the highest rated. Is Loki? I know. Well, look at you being fun. a contrarian. <laughs> and I also didn't watch the um, Captain America the movie or the play, the Broadway play or whatever. In this, <laughs> in episode like six. Yes, and episode one. Right. Well, I, I rewatched it at the end of six. Oh. Because it, six comes on and you've got like eight minutes left, so I'm like, oh, we're getting something with uh with Val again, mm. or we're getting some little extra bit of business. No, they just put the play on in in full. No, thank you. And I'm like, ooh, boy, they really, they're kind of like, man, we paid for all this, we're gonna show it to you. <laughs> yeah, that's what that is. <laughs> that's exactly what that is. And tell me this, was the play only six minutes long in 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 the show in the in the show? <laughs> I hope not, because, man, it, those tickets better be like 10 bucks. <laughs> no lie. <laughs> so as of uh, as of recording, the four series that we've done, WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Loki, it went Loki, WandaVision, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier in terms of IMDb's popularity. But how would you rank these four so far, Alan? Wanda first. Uh-huh. I, I would put Hawkeye second above... Uh, Winter Soldier and okay. Falcon. Even though Winter Soldier had that cultural re- uh, resonance for me, uh-huh. because I'm just uncomfortable with. Um, I was uncomfortable for Sam mm-hmm. in his position, and that made for less enjoyable viewing. Even though the meaning of it and the the relevance of it was powerful. 
just in, in terms of enjoying what I'm looking at, it's third, and Loki would be last. All right. So I would also I would agree that one division is number one, and then there's about an ocean's worth of space between <laughs> one one and the rest. Um, I think depending on the day, I would say any of them are are two through four. But I think I really enjoyed the ideas of Falcon and the Winter Soldier more than some of the other ones. Um, I thought that that with Walker and how hateful he is um, and with the ideas of using some characters that I knew and some characters that were being introduced into this world, I thought that that was I guess that one was the most successful next. And then I would go. Hmm. I think I would go Hawkeye third. Uh-huh. And then I would go Loki because I think that Loki was just, for me, it got tedious after a while to where I was like, good Lord, like, what are we doing? <laughs> so, so I don't know. So that's, that's where we're standing. But our next episode is when we will uh, have another series get into another series and we may have to see if we can recruit a special guest for this next episode because it is uh is it lunar is it lunar in some way (laughs) it is lunar based yeah it is lunar based that's one thing that threw me off a little bit speaking of lunar is in the in in the daredevil series i guess it must have been the second season of daredevil um there was a scene where Matt and Electra were going to uh, the the plane, uh, a hangar, to flee somewhere, and they were stopped by a guy named, oh, and I've forgotten his name, but but it was Duquesne, was the last name. Okay. And it was the same name that is. Oh, you um, mean Jack Duquesne? <laughs> I don't mean Jack Duquesne. Oh. I mean, it was a French guy whose last name was the same last name or spelled similar to Frenchie Moon Knight's um, butler or, oh, or okay. aide or something. And when that happened, I said to myself and I said to our friend, <laughs> look, they have just included Frenchie in Daredevil. Now, they're not saying that this guy is connected to Moon Knight. But if they have the character in here, and he's French, he's French. Like, he's not a guy whose name is is French. He's a French guy. If they have him in here, it's very possible that they could somehow introduce Moon Knight into the MCU. And and he was, and our friend, Mr. Andrew Shaw, (laughs) said, we'll see, because he's very cautious on these. Yes. He didn't want to get his hopes up too high. And now here we are. And that's well, why I was that's why I was thrown off with um Jack Duquesne. Uh-huh. When I saw his name in print, uh, I thought, is he who is he? Is he is he are we coming back to Moon Knight again? Is is he Frenchy? But he had an accent, but it didn't seem like it was a French accent, and I didn't I just got thrown off. I didn't know he was swordsman until either episode five or after the whole series is over Hmm. well i will say that i don't have a clue what you're talking about i have not read a moon knight comic book in my life really no sort of knowledge other than that the man is named mark specter that is literally the only thing i know about it so i'm debating whether i should read up 
either some of the Warren Ellis stuff, some of the Bendis stuff, some of the newer stuff, or, you know, getting some of the uh, epic collection of the earlier um, iterations, or if I should just go in completely blind. Consult our friend. <laughs> I'm going to ask him. I'll ask he him will, right after this. He will guide you. And I'll say, what do I need to know to understand the details of this show? Because mm-hmm. it's like, you you tell me that Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke are going to be in a Marvel show, and I'm like, done. I don't care what it's about. <laughs> like, that's all I need to know, right? right. Mm-hmm. But I also know that Moon Knight in the books is all over the shop in terms of what it is and isn't and mm-hmm. was and wasn't and all ha- all that sort of thing. It's true. So maybe uh, ooh, I wonder if you could just watch it before you do your research and just get an impression on what m- the MCU is presenting. Yeah. As yeah. So I, I think the good thing is, is unlike sort of Hawkeye and me wanting it to be more dour and me wanting it to focus on Clint's struggle more, I if I just watched this as the MCU version, I wouldn't have any preconceptions about anything. Mm. It would just be like, okay, this is what they're telling me. I guess this is true. Yeah, that's what they want. Okay, well, I'll try that then. And then if I end up liking it, I can go back and my library has a shitload of Moon Knight stuff I see, so... Yeah, yeah, right. yeah! That's a plan! That is a plan. So... I think that pretty much wraps us up for our discussion of Hawkeye. If you have any comments for the show, you can email us at plainlabelpodcast at gmail.com. If you wanted to help out the show, you can check out our show notes where you'll find the link to our Amazon wish list. I do want to thank Mr. New Mutant, Mr. Alan White, if, for coming on once again. If people wanted to hear more from you or get in touch with you, where could they do that these days? These days, they could go to... Instagram, I am newmutant08. They could go to Twitter. It still exists. Still working. It's still working. I'm at newmutant on Twitter. And you could go to Patreon. Uh Ah. And you could look up the power principle. Patreon.com forward slash backslash one of those slashes. The power principle. And I am issuing out version 2022 from the beginning of the 2008 run with all remastered art. I'm retelling story. I'm doing it with a 2022 sensibility because in 2008, I was in a rush of endorphins (laughs) and just, I've got a cartoon again. I'm a cartooner again and all that excitement. But um, time has tempered me and skills have risen and, and digital tools have increased, and I'm a lot more excited and better than I was in 2008. So come to Patreon and support me and get these pages and enjoy this comic. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Alan and Nick, for listening, and you can join us next week as we talk about But I know this can't be the end.
Of all kinds, but Loki, you don't belong, so get going. 